Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Crawl out through the fallout, baby, when they drop that bomb. Crawl out through the fallout with the greatest of aplomb. When your white count's getting higher, hurry, don't delay. I'll hold you close and kiss those radiation burns away. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest with us here today to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout, it's Josh Lewis. Hey, everyone. It's me. What is up? (laughs) Uh, Not a whole lot. Excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. Um, So before we begin, Josh, why don't you tell the fine folks at home a little about yourself? Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm a freelance critic out of uh, Toronto, Canada. Uh, I sort of occasionally write about films and do hot takes on Letterboxd and Twitter, and I get involved in discourse and yell about things. Uh, And I also do my own podcast, uh, Sleezoids, where we talk about sort of like uh, genre and exploitation films. Specifically, we eliminate everything from the the, uh, post-2000s, and uh, we kind of just go back through and we, we pair... Uh, you know, two sort of, you know, we've done like a Cronenberg episode, Videodrome, that's kind of our realm. Um, but yeah, those are the two things that I do mostly at the moment. Um, yeah. Now, I went on your Letterboxd. Yep. I have to, I have to ask you. Oh no. Oh no. Eagle Scout, first class. What is that from? Eagle Scout, first class. That's from, uh, Zodiac, David Fincher. That's it. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes, that's, uh, that's how a Jake Gyllenhaal fucking... introduces himself to one of the police department uh, characters where they say, what now, are you, some sort of Boy Scout? And he's like, Eagle Scout, first class. <laughs> okay, but are you actually an Eagle Scout? No, not at all. Okay, as an Eagle Scout, <laughs> oh no, that scene in that movie has always fucking infuriated me because there is no first class. Damn. And so I'm like, Fincher, you son of a bitch. You researched this movie to within an inch of its life. And he couldn't and get you it don't right. Know. He couldn't just ask the Boy Scouts, man. You're just an Eagle Scout. <laughs> and you are until you die. It's like having been president. Oh, and so man. I saw that on your thing, along with being a Mojito fiend, which is from uh, Miami Vice. So I got that one. And I was like, I can't remember what movie always pisses me off. <laughs> That's the, the Eagle one. Scout thing. You, you figured yeah. it out. You can put it on your blacklist now. It's good. Yep. Good. <laughs> glad we cleared that up. And I'm glad that I have had an opportunity now to voice my anger at that on this podcast. That's right. Brian, that was like the most quintessentially a Brian Rowan criticism I've ever heard. <laughs> it's just one of those. Th- it's like me and the whole we have to get the bullet out. It's like you really don't. It's a, it's not, a, you know, I'm not going to go into the bullet thing again, but it's just one of those things where it's like they, they just needed an extra line of dialogue or an extra step in the process. And they were just like, what if we have him say that he's like a first class Eagle Scout? And it's like, oh, yeah, that'd be fucking sweet. Yeah, it's very specific. It lets you know that he's he's a true. He's a he's a. Yeah, it's authentic. 
Unless he's literally saying, I am one first-class Eagle Scout, oh boy. But I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> Which is crazy, because there are different classes at a certain point. But then you become a Life Scout, and then you become an Eagle Scout. Anyway, unimportant. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's like when I'm... Okay, this is another really stupid thing. This when is I'm going, watching. Though? When Welcome, I'm watching Doc. a movie, <laughs> when I'm watching a movie and they have a Catholic mass and they do things out of order, it annoys the shit out of me. That's just another one of those things where it's like it doesn't matter to anyone except someone on the inside and then it becomes super important. So since we're all globetrotting secret agents, I'm sure we'll have a shit ton to talk about in Mission Impossible Fallout as well. Um before we do that, let's uh do the usual housekeeping. Follow us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook The Filmstage Show, podcast at thefilmstage.com is our email. Give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. And of course, go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow to give us your money. You'll get access to our Slack channel and movie raffles and cool stuff like that. And it uh, helps us to create this podcast, which we all love. So... Also, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day they introduce a new film for you to watch. You have 30 days to watch each film, and so you have a constantly rotating selection of 30 films to check out. Still in theaters is Ryuchi Sakamoto's Coda. You can go to coda.mubi.com to see where it is playing. There is also a series, Francois Ozon. Loving Provocation, which focuses on the French director's transgressive first feature. Um, first feature is my apologies. All made in quick succession during the three-year period from 1998 to 2000. That includes sitcom, criminal lovers, water drops on burning rocks, slash film stage, where you can get a free 30-day trial, the full lifespan of one of their films, on us. Again, that is M-U-B-I.com. Slash film stage. I've always been curious about his earlier work because I've only seen some of his later work, and I think he was part of the like French extremity, like right at the beginning, like in the same like aligned with someone like you know Alexandra Aha or you know mm-hmm. Trouble Every Day from Denis. Like it seemed like it was in that weird category, so I'm wondering if any of those are are, are part of that uh, that wave. Um, in sitcom, a conventional French family lives in an apart- <laughs> apparent harmony until one day the father brings home a pet rat. One by one, they come in contact with the rat, and each member of the family goes to pieces, and their hidden sexual and psychological perversions are exposed. This satire is absurd as much as it is unforgettable. So, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that sounds like it could be. Um... <laughs> I really want to check that one out. Anyway, we are here today to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout, the newest film in the Mission Impossible series. This is film number six. Like its predecessor, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, and it stars Tom Cruise, Henry Cavill, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Sean Harris, Angela Bassett, and uh, a couple other people I'm just going to throw in. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> but it's usually at this point, it, I, I give it. Yeah. <laughs> he's there. He's got like, he's, I've, I, you know, he's in it a are, couple are, times. Are we do, do we do spoilers <laughs> on this show? Yeah, there's going to be a spoiler okay. section. Okay, so we're um, going to do it right so away. So we'll, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's why I skipped over a few of the other people who are in it. Um, not that spoilers like super matter for a film like this. I was just about to say, I usually do a plot summary 
before doing the trailer. Do you need it? Do you need it for a Mission Impossible <laughs> film? And could I give it to you if you did need I'll, it? That's an even bigger question. I'll be honest, especially since they J.J. Abrams kind of took over, a lot of these movies are feature-length plot summaries. Um, yeah. But with really stellar set pieces that kind of hold them all together. <laughs> okay, well, come on. Like, the first one is confusing as hell. Uh, oh, true. But it's not, I wouldn't say that, like, for example, I would say, especially with Fallout, you kind of get a movie where the plot is kind of pretty threadbare and mostly there to kind of string you along, whereas the mystery of the plot in De Palma's version is what De Palma actually mines for the thrills and the drama in that film. Whereas this this is the sort of new, slicker Mission Impossible movie's plot is very different than how it was used when, obviously, the franchise kicked off. Right. In, In De Palma's film, the mystery was the plot motivator. Sure. And the MacGuffin was, like, ancillary to all that. But in the more recent films, there is like the MacGuffin, and then the plot is just like, eh, it doesn't matter. We just need to get him in this plane, and and sometimes there's motivations, and you're like, what? what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my god. All right. So yeah. So that all of, all that to say the 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 fucking the 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 plot of this movie is. Ethan Hunt is at it again, and the world is in peril, and he's going to try to stop it. And he's got to go rogue Here's at some the, point. He, <laughs> he doesn't, he he has doesn't to answer go into to Ghost Protocol, go rogue. <laughs> anyway, here is the trailer. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. All right, so here we are, ready to talk about our upfront, spoiler-free feelings about Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, Josh, you're our guest. Why don't we start with you? Oh, that's a terrible idea. I don't know how to read the room, so I don't know how everybody else kind of felt about this movie. I like this movie a lot. That is the fun of this podcast. <laughs> I like, At least initially. I like this movie a lot. Um, but I had quite a few reservations about things that basically weren't action-based in this film. Um, for me, I kind of opened up the little bit of writing I did on it by just basically saying that a lot of this is pretty thin and arc- unremarkable in terms of, of plotting and in terms of, of character. There are sort of gestures towards it, but, you know, this movie really hinges on you caring a lot about things that might have happened in, say, like, J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible 3, which is a movie that I, I'm not crazy about. So that a lot of this... Uh, is sort of Macquarie's screenplay anyway, is a lot of, like, important, um, you know, emotional gestures to things that I should care about. Uh, That stuff didn't play too well for me, but as an excuse to get Tom Cruise to do some insane things with his body, um, this is perhaps the most compelling 
film you'll find for that reason. So uh, I had a bit of a sort of back and forth uh, on that, but in the end, I think the set pieces uh, genuinely do uh, win out any kind of thought because they're just so bombastic and so thrilling. Uh, they overwhelm your senses, uh, and I think some people will think that negatively. Um, for me, that was uh, a pretty big positive considering some of the other stuff. I, I kind of wanted a distraction from the other stuff. All right. Michael Snydell, what did you think of Mission Impossible Fallout? I have no idea why you're asking me this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I guess I'm going to be the dissenting voice today. Great. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Um, do it. Do it. Because, because <laughs> no, I've, no, I... I've read the dissenting pieces. I think uh, Richard Brody had a great one uh, in The New Yorker, and Keith Ulick had the, one the for slants. Slant. Yeah. I, and I, I agree almost entirely with both of those reviews. Um, so totally fair also michael you don't you don't know how bill or i felt so i this is true this is true i just i just have a feeling and i just i i felt a sinking feeling watching this movie being like oh god everybody fucking loves this movie (laughs) but okay so i i want to i want to be clear this is a series that i have um an incredible amount of affection for even going back to uh, Mission Impossible 2, which is something I'm going to rewatch this week because I want to be able to know how I actually feel about it now. It's so, that good. Was something... it's so good. I'm sorry. I'm going to come out and say it's so good. Everyone underrates Mission okay, yes. Impossible 2. I, I love Mission Impossible 2. I'm, right. I'm a fan. It's crazy. It's dumb. It's dumb as fuck. I love it. I love all the face masks. I love the gunplay. This is this love... is just what's kind of it for me is that with these new movies, a lot of them are getting a lot of praise, which Michael kind of mentioned kind of makes it hard for you to kind of want to jump in and say. And what's interesting to me is that a lot of these people who really maybe slightly overpraise some of these newer ones, they look at Mission Impossible 2 as the weakest one. And I'm like, that's the one that's doing what these ones are doing, which is it's, it's sure. a total threadbare mm-hmm. set piece machine. Although in between instead of having, you know, this very heavy sort of miserable exposition session in between set pieces, you get John Woo doing this superly, overly romantic, like, Hong Kong melodrama, which Mm -hmm. I'll take that any day of the week over, like, Alec Baldwin (laughs) telling me about the MacGuffin. Like, give me that movie. The Chungking Express is just happening in between, basically, scenes from Wanted. Yes. Which is, I mean, if you don't want that movie... It's less smug than Wanted, though. Let's let's be nice to Mission yeah, Impossible okay, well, too. Yeah. Like, wait, oh, I should say I love Wanted. Oh, yeah, so. I love Wanted. Oh as boy, well. when when he curve the jumps, bullet. Yeah, when he jumps over the car and curves the bullet at the same time, like I and literally says, cheered. And he in says, the "I'm sorry." Yeah, he's just like, great. "I'm I'm into this. Whatever this is." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's just talk about Wanted. <laughs> so okay, we open on Wesley, an office worker. <laughs> oh, holy shit, you know his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. that's kind of amazing. All right. <laughs> anyway, so I want to mention I, I want to mention my affection for these movies because I have to say uh, the last two have not grabbed me the way that others have. Christopher McQuarrie is someone who I'm still not sold on the way a lot of people are. I I liked Jack Reacher. I know that's one that a lot of people have mentioned. It's another Tom Cruise vehicle. It's another one that has great stunts. And I, I did, uh, you know, I um, I liked that almost more than Rogue Nation because I was feeling more emotional stakes there. Plus you have, you know, fucking Werner Herzog as a, as a villain, which is, you know, it, it's harder to get a better, better villain, you know, short of 
Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, Especially when he villain. has a monologue about eating his own fingers to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> but Christopher McQuarrie, again, is someone, Rogue Nation was something where I, I, the word I came away from and after rewatching it today again is is professionalism. And there is an incredible competency to the set pieces in that, but as far as mood, as far as tone, as far as the grace notes that I want from someone like John Woo or um or De Palma or even Brad Bird and A. Abrams to a lesser extent, uh, those are were not there for me. And um, with Rogue Nation, that script also suffered for me. And I have to say, for Fallout, for the first twenty minutes, I was really worried about how I was going to feel about this movie. And I then was it comes to the first. It opens on like a ten-minute exposition dump. Um, I, I was I like, know. you're not going to open a Mission uh. Impossible movie with like half a set piece, <laughs> or like jump us into some sort yeah. of action. That is, without without like tipping my hand or anything, I will just say that was the craziest mission briefing that has ever been. Sure, and I was lost very quickly. <laughs> it's so long and it's it's very convoluted yeah. very quickly. And then there's a point, and then, and then it's almost like you don't. Uh, the larger movie doesn't even necessarily need you to know all of that because uh, it it, it, no, no. it seems God, no. more like it fills you with details so that you sort of understand action motivation and that's basically it like that's its sole uh purpose of existence and it just seems like an odd odd choice uh for so 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 late in the series but that's but that's what's so interesting i think again i mean josh you already mentioned about de palma's mission impossible absolutely being nonsense i I rewatched that and i tried really hard to tell you what was going on from like moment to moment and i i genuinely don't understand the motivations of that the beats of that film and i i think that's absolutely intentional because what matters is the emotionalism and the way for instance that like the the relationship between emmanuel bert and uh, tom cruise's character you know feels incredibly De Palma. You know, it has that shades of like fatalism of something like blowout and like many, uh, or, or I should say it's quintessentially De Palma. And, you know, I, I think that the way that Macquarie um, deals in nonsense is just, is so much less interesting to me and so much more thudding. And there's not the, the weird subtext that, that, I find here other than um, I, I will say uh, I, I read your review, Josh. I, I thought it was great. And I think you actually say the subtext you really like is uh, of one of our greatest Hollywood megalomaniacs. <laughs> and I think that that is something that never gets old for me is watching Tom Cruise, even as he's, you know, finally starting to get older. I feel like in recent, it wasn't until recently where I'm like, you know, Tom Cruise is getting kind of old. And that like, is fascinating to watch him still do, you know, uh, put himself through these crucibles. But this, for some reason, was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. The way that this feels in between um, the kind of perfunctory storytelling of um, Rogue Nation and uh, not enough of an identity. But I do think I do want to give Macquarie a few different, um, a few quick uh, positives. I think that he is becoming a more unique director. Like he has more of an identity here, whether it comes from the fact that, you know, I think the opera scene was the major scene with a, with a mood 
in the last one. Yeah. And this film, I think, feels a lot more fleshed out from moment to moment in terms of like bringing a mood to the scene other than sheer adrenaline. Um, and I, I think that's good, but I also was just so tired <laughs> by the end of this movie. And that made me really sad <laughs> that this movie that, you know, it, it it didn't work on an adrenaline junkie in the same way, you know, like, you know, it didn't even have the same thrill I want from something, you know, like uh, a Euro B thriller, like district B 13. Like, so it didn't really have that quality for me. And then the storytelling I thought was ranged from mediocre to really bad in the case of a few characters. And I just was constantly going in and out. And as much as I like some of the stunts, I just ultimately can't say that this is this is a very good movie or experience for me. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right about Macquarie's like sort of just valuing proficiency kind of over every other sort of cinematic mode. Um, but there the, the, and the few stuff because I I also agree that most of the supporting character stuff doesn't uh, work for me, especially Rebecca Ferguson, who I thought was really really good in sort of like the first half of Rogue Nation, which I think is really really strong. Yeah. And then that movie just kind of has like an, an extra hour of just yeah, forty five minutes. Yeah, like yeah. it's 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 pretty nuts. Because um, Rogue Nation, um, I wasn't crazy about either, and I but I, I liked this more than Rogue Nation because I think Macquarie kind of learned the lesson that Wu sort of applied to the franchise, which was end as strongly as you possibly can, um, other than the very last scene of this movie, which is dreadful, but we'll maybe talk about that in spoilers. Sure. Um, but stuff that did work for me in the downtime that wasn't you know, some of the incredible set pieces in this, um, there's sort of like these sort of weird, sad interludes where um, Ethan Hunt, a lot of time for the first time, is kind of like thinking about the consequences of some of the violence that he's partaking in. The fallout. The fallout. <laughs> oh, yes. There's at least one scene that feels like uh, Denis Villeneuve could have uh, directed that. Oh, and that's, what was that, that? Is that how we're, what, is that what? How we're pronouncing that name now? Villeneuve. Uh, Denny V. <laughs> just yeah, just stick with Denny. First v. of all, on this podcast where we don't know how to pronounce anyone's name, it's Denny V. But, yeah, but now sure we have a Canadian Denis. on, so. So Josh, can as a Canadian, Denis. would you like to tell us? It is Denny. It's Denis. French Canadian. Absolutely Denny. Oh, okay, boy. but I think the end of the name, like the the last name, Villeneuve. was what Michael stumbled Villeneuve. over. Yeah, it's Villeneuve. Absolutely. Not I'm sorry Villeneuve about that car crash or whatever of a fucking hell you just said. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. There's a, there's like, sort of like a like a, a like really weird, brief, moody scene uh, that we'll maybe get into in the spoiler yeah. bit, and it's kind of like it kind of throws you off because there's none of the rest of the movie is like that at all. It's just like these brief sort of like uh, moments of character psychology for Ethan Hunt, and I the idea of thinking about the character psychology of Ethan Hunt actually threw me off just entirely. It's bizarre. Uh, because, it, I mean, like, the, the franchise just really hasn't wrestled with it properly, and the idea that at the sixth entry, it's time, and then they kind of just don't really say anything about it other than, like, you know what? He's a decent guy, and you all should like him, and he's amazing. <laughs> Look at him. He does good stuff. And, like, that's you the extent Eagle of Scout the moral reckoning that Ethan saying? Hunt goes through in this movie. Uh, but he does have Henry Cavill, who uh, we would be sort of remiss not to mention in the non-spoiler section, uh, just because 
uh, in terms of a physical presence, this is maybe the most generous physical performance Tom Cruise has ever let another actor have in one of his movies. Uh, <laughs> because he actually has competition with Henry Cavill in, the, in a, a bathroom brawl that happens early in the movie that everyone's kind of seen in the trailer. You know, Henry Cavill, he's just... Uh, He's kind of unbelievable. His physique and his charm is just absolutely preposterous. And watching him, you know, reload his arms and, uh, you know, flip people <laughs> over his head like two or three times, it, you know, he's he's maybe the closest we've seen to, you know, uh, maybe a possible new movie star. <laughs> How tall is Henry Cavill? Like, does he's anyone have a, that? He's in the six foot range. I'm because I'm... Tom Cruise is like shorter than my wife. Isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's like. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a solid five feet tall. <laughs> I think Rebecca yeah. Ferguson is taller than Tom Cruise. Cavill uh, is six one. Six one. Damn. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. It's it was kind of weird seeing them like inhabit scenes together. Because yeah. Tom Cruise like sort of has to like look up at him. <laughs> just like, what, who is this giant? Anyway, so my my general thought or I was gonna go. Yeah, I think I'll let go. I'll, I'll let Bill go first. No, no, no. You go. You go. <laughs> oh, I don't know. My my general thoughts are just like it's fine. <laughs> I um, I think yes. <laughs> I'm the I'm the crazy person who constantly says that like one and two are my favorites because they're like diametrically opposed to one another, and I kind of hmm. love like how much of a like late '90s sequel Mission Impossible Two is. <laughs> it's like maybe we could take this Euro art spy thriller. And just fucking like Michael Bay it up, but like we'll use this uh, other foreign director, and it's just like you know that'll be fine, and we'll just add more guns. And um, there were there was like three explosions in the other film, but they weren't fiery enough, so like everything will explode in this one. <laughs> this is so funny because we actually everywhere. on on our podcast, Lee's always we actually just talked about Mission Impossible one and two because we wanted to make the argument that they were actually the best ones. Uh, and hmm. our kind of reasoning for for that was that uh, De Palma and John Woo, if you watched their filmographies in order and you watched their Mission Impossible movies, you'd be like, oh yeah, no, that's absolutely one of their movies. Uh, and those are basically <laughs> the only two movies in the Mission Impossible franchise that you can really say. That. I mean, I guess you can distinguish Abrams other than, but it, Abrams... His complete lack of style is sort of a style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Lens <laughs> Yeah, you got lens lens flares and like rack zoom or not no yeah snap zooms and if, if you were to watch like some episodes of like Lost and like Alias and then Mission Impossible Three, you would be like, oh okay, this makes sense. Yeah, you're like, yeah. okay, I got it. This makes perfect sense. Um, what I and then but I'll say like, I think in terms of which okay, so this is the crazy thing. I love when it comes to like Mission Impossible and James Bond. There are things that I expect. And if I get them, I'm happy enough. Um, in a in a James Bond film, it's um, at least two pretty women, one of whom is good and one of whom is evil. You know, it's it's a real baseline, but it's there. Also, if he has a gadget specifically on his watch, I am down for it. I love a good watch gadget. Then, like, that's it. I really don't need a lot more. Damn. All right. <laughs> I like. I'm, I'm super easy. Yeah. And then when it comes to the Mission Impossible movies, it's the masks. I like a good mask. I like when they're used cleverly. I know it's it's kind of dumb, um, but maybe the reason that I love Mission Impossible 2 so much 
is they use that mask the every yeah. chance they can the, possibly get every <laughs> he goes to like pick up some chinese food <laughs> leaves the place and then just pulls off a mask and it's just like did you need to have the mask on to get the chinese food and it's like nah, that that one nah, bit I'm good uh, is so perverse that john woo p- makes a tom cruise mask and then has the <laughs> villain gun him down brutally so we're watching yeah. just tom cruise get destroyed and then it r- rips the mask off, and Tom Cruise has has, whoa, whoa, has put that's a, a spoiler, isn't it? That Tom Cruise oh, is still for, alive. Yeah, one hundred two thousand. A fucking eighteen. A movie that can vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's awesome because you see Tom Cruise get murdered. And then someone pulls Tom Cruise's face off, and it's a bad guy. And then the bad guy pulls his face off, and it's Tom Cruise. So it's just like, <laughs> how many so. times can we reveal Tom Cruise right now? And um, so yeah, I mean, like, and what's crazy though is that I think if I were like, if some, if I were trying to um, call a Patton, and uh, I love, I love the fact that Tom Cruise tries to do like a hero line, and say mission accomplished. And I love that the movie knows how fucking ridiculous that is and calls it out. And also just Brad Bird is a great <laughs> inventive like visual filmmaker in terms of like getting information yeah. across and everything. And so, yeah, I mean like the bit in that where Tom Cruise like drives a car headfirst yeah. down like 30 <laughs> yes. flights is unreal. And it's love such it. it's such like a coda to like a breathless scene where it's like he's just trying to survive and now he's going to do something that definitely seems like it should kill him. It's just uh it's wonderful. And yeah, because four would be like the first one of these movies that became kind of like the slick set piece machine, and and I do really like yeah. that one because I mean you're right, Brad Bird, uh, for his animation back background kind of makes all this sort of like clean, coherent. Uh, that hallway yeah. scene with the drip, the drip thrower, I guess is the way to put it, and then like the eye tracking <laughs> screen yes. is just like it's beautiful, yeah. it's great, and so like yeah, I really expect these movies to go like heavy all in on the gadgets. I don't like how they've kind of gone more towards gunplay recently it feels like but um i don't know this movie is just like it's a perfectly serviceable time at the movies i feel like it might be a little over long um it it, like kind of the rogue nation problem i sort of better pacing than i think i think it is paced better than rogue but i think it's still it still could use I would, like I mean, maybe not having. It's, it's two hours and it takes a lot longer to get going like, yeah. than I. Yeah, if they could, if they could movie. trim like the first half of the first part of the first act, and then maybe realize that they don't need a seventh act, then maybe we can. <laughs> but like, as in terms of like, you know. Because by the time they're jumping out of the plane, the movie doesn't really stop until the final set piece, which is the final set piece is a little long. There's a lot of cross cutting. Again, McQuarrie seems to be doing like the sort of like blunt force Nolan kind of style that he's Mm -hmm. going for and trying to make that seem like that just makes it mean more or it's more important that way. Which is. But I think Nolan brings a gravity. And and I think a lot of people on this. Um, Yeah. Because what I was going to say is like with (laughs) Nolan. I'm sort of like equally invested in every part and there's like a rhythm. I, you know, he, he must work like a fucking fiend with his editor to make sure that like they're doing the right thing at the right time and, and everything is like flowing well in this movie, you know, without getting into spoilers in the climax, there's like a pursuit and a fist fight going on. And like, I really like, it just felt weird to cut away from the fist fight because a fist fight has an immediacy to it that I feel like shouldn't be interrupted by, 
checking out how a pursuit is going. Because if you cut away from a pursuit and come back to it, I could be like, ah, mm. the pursuit is still in progress. But in the fist fight, I'm like, so for the same amount of real time, have they just been pummeling each other? Or is this, you know, it just, my brain kind of gets fucked I think, with it. I think the real problem is that it's just, it's too much cutting. Yeah. Like, I, I felt like, I felt like we were cutting to the pursuit sequence, chilling there for like 15 seconds and then cutting back to the other one. And it's just like, why don't we have something happen in one of uh, these two situations? It doesn't really take place during a break in the action. Like, it's not yeah, like someone gets thrown sure. through a window and then you cut away and then you come back and it's like them picking themselves up yeah, and getting it's just, back it's into it's the fight. It's very senseless cross-cutting, and I don't know if you guys saw it in IMAX, but it also really throws you off with that sort of, like, switching between the oh. IMAX footage and the non-IMAX oh, no. footage there, especially just because it's so different, because the, the IMAX footage uh, is very bright, very crystal clear, and then you kind of get these kind of, like, shadowy interiors. That sounds awful. And it, it, yeah, that uh, Honestly, if there was more rhythm to it, it would be more forgivable, but you're right, there's not a lot in the in the final set piece. Yeah. So so basically what my thoughts boil down to is I love the use of masks. I think that there are a couple of really good action scenes. But I'm kind of I don't I don't really feel like we need to try to humanize Ethan Hunt. I feel like that was the biggest goddamn mistake that JJ Abrams made that this franchise is still wrestling with. And I feel like you know, I like. It, it, I just don't need it. I don't need it. I don't like what they try to use him to do in this movie, and I don't like how it turns into like. Again, without getting into spoilers, like a this is your life, and kind of like trying to make this like broken man feel like everything that he's done has been for a purpose. It's like <laughs> the ending is like. It's a wonderful life, but if it was instead of like, George, you pulled me out of a river and, you know, everything like that, it was like, well, you stopped a nuclear holocaust. It's like the exact opposite of what I enjoy about the Daniel Craig Bond movies, which is that those movies just acknowledge that he's kind of a murderous, like, freak. Yeah, uh, and then how sad he is because of that, uh, and how all of his relationships crumble and nothing works, and I guess he'll just be an instrument for the state because that just makes sense. And, uh, I, and like Rogue that, Nation, I was worried that Rogue Nation was going to fall into the Spectre trap. Mm, of, sure, or maybe if you have a guy who seems to like a, a villain who seems to be taking things too personally, I'm worried that it's going to do all the dumb shit that Spectre did, where like you have you have fucking Christoph Waltz. Just being like cuckoo, James, and then you have to you have to have him like show up and be like, "I am the author of all of your pain," and sure. it's just like, "Is Christoph Waltz here?" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I prefer the I prefer the oh, crazy. Man. I my bad guys in these movies when they get this big. I prefer unless it's the fast movies because they're ridiculous. <laughs> I prefer the Werner Herzogian. Oh, jack reacher guy who's just like i am pure evil and i want to eat fingers it's just like like i just and this movie falls into the specter trap even more than rogue nation did which doesn't leave me feeling crazy is that i think sean harris has it in him but they just can't write him a compelling character because like all of his He's sort of like voice. inflections and intonations are right, and and this yeah. one specifically when they sort of like beard him up and make him like a little bit more primal than he was in the first one, yeah. instead of uh, sort of uh, you know wearing suits and stuff, 
you know, philosophy there, there's teacher. something that could have worked there. But again, a, a, a really weird element of this is that they they kind of set up this this uh, the opening exposition references Homer and the Odyssey, and then they set up <laughs> the apostles are like the the yeah. bad guys behind this, and there's all this sort of like talk of. Uh, ancient imagery and we're going to <laughs> we're going to uh what is it we're gonna like bring back so much pain that people have to rebuild or whatever but like beyond the actual plotting and like a little bit of dialogue like there's no introspection on what any of that means like i have no idea why sean harris's character wants to be involved in that or what he's getting out of it or seven and it, seven different characters speak the line and i for some reason can't remember <laughs> what its precise wording is but it's like there cannot be peace without first a great suffering. Right, like that's a that's a hugely uh, like moody line with no other sort of <laughs> exploration. We can perhaps get into it in spoilers, but I will say that I yeah. more than I was expecting, my lack of full understanding of the character motivations of the villain were very hard to pin because like in Ghost sure. Protocol You've got um, Michael Nyquist's character, and he's just like a radical nuclear disarmament guy who is kind of like if if someone was like, well, the only way we're going to get gun control is if I just go out and murder everyone with a gun. <laughs> like, And then it's going to be so bad that no one will want guns. So he's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to steal a nuclear warhead, I'm going to blow up a fucking city, and everyone's going to see how bad nuclear warheads are, and then we'll all just get rid of our nuclear warheads. And that is insane. But it's simple enough, and his plan... I can track that more. (laughs) Yeah, his plan is simple enough that it's like, I don't need to know who fucking goddamn... I can't can't even remember the character name. Sean Harris, who has been kidnapped, and then there's John Lark, who is out there, and then he is not an apostle, but is working with the apostles, and he's going to meet the White Widow, and the White Widow is going to sell... The plutonium that was stolen by someone else that was then stolen by the apostles, but John Lark wants it. But in order to do that, they have to first get Sean Harris. I don't, and it's just like this unimpeachably insane, convoluted thing of events where I'm just like, why can't you just have like Sean Harris get broken out and they got to get him again because he's still got people out there wrecking shit. Like, it just, I was watching that info dump that opens the movie, like, you know, his little if you choose to accept it. And I was just like, there's too much happening. <laughs> and there's like the little icons keep changing. And I'm like, this is why Ethan Hunt can do this job and no one else can, because somehow he understands what the hell is going on right now. Well, see, because it, it, the the when you go back and you watch De Palma's, like, that confusion is kind of the point of that movie. Sure. That everyone, every, all of these people and their lives are layered in this kind of artifice and performance and whatnot. And, yeah. you know, like, I'm, that's very much what De Palma is going for. And in here, it seems deployed just kind of, like, at random. And I will, I will cave to there's a midpoint in this movie that we'll definitely get into in the spoiler section where there's like eight twists like are we talking about an minutes. underground scene yeah, yeah it's, there's it's like the eight twists in three minutes and by the time the fourth one happened i was just laughing and i was loving it like i would and I, I feel like the movie is in on that one but other than but other than that it's just very unintentionally convoluted <laughs> and and yeah i like First of all, people keep talking about how confusing Mission Impossible 1 is. I maintain (laughs) that if it weren't for the fact that that movie has no idea how email works, 
that movie would be 50% more sure. easy to understand. Access, internet, enter. Everything about Function. when he's Email. emailing Job is is amazing. No, he, he he stays up all yeah, night emailing yeah. different languages. Different Max Bible groups. Yeah. I just, uh, even the first time I saw oh, that movie, man. which I rented it from Blockbuster on VHS, and I was a child, and I had no excuse to watch that movie other than that I love Top Gun. And I just remember watching that, and even as a child, I thought, what are all these other people who's getting this email thinking? <laughs> that was like, a weird email. <laughs> they're just going to like think it's like a Nigerian prince scheme, but what is actually happening is that... Yeah, but what is actually happening is that someone has stolen the knock list and this guy needs to get in touch with an arms dealer to get it back. But like that movie is, it's super easy. It's just, they they need to get this list of undercover agents. Sure. They've been betrayed and Ethan Hunt has been set up and he's got to clear his name and find the list. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the and first like, of like three times it involves the knock list too? Like aren't there like two other movies Rogue, that have... Rogue Nation I think definitely did a thing about a uh, list. Okay. I can't remember the plot of Rogue Nation <laughs> to save my goddamn soul. I, I will however... This morning. And, then, and, then, I will... and then I think the third one. I think Abrams did a, a list oh type thing. Or I guess you never really find out what the rabbit It's the rabbit's is. foot. It's the anti-god is what Simon oh, Pegg right, called it. Right, right. He's just like it was his way of saying like we like almost acknowledging how little it matters. <laughs> sure. It's just like everyone wants the rabbit's foot. Well, what is the rabbit's foot? And he's like, "Well, my philosophy professor used to talk about something called the anti-god, which is a particle that would destroy everything in an instant." And so when I see this so many just, people it's, it's of this kind of stature, it's nuke. <laughs> he, we don't even know that it could be a biological <laughs> weapon. It could be nanotechnology that'll turn the earth into gray matter. But like, it's used it, for the it same could purpose. Be anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just like assume this is bad it's and will kill you. The next and, um, movie should just have something where it's like a mispronounced MacGuffin. It, it, it blows my <laughs> mind that Abrams is self-aware enough to throw in something like that, but then cast Philip Seymour Hoffman and have him play a absolute cookie-cutter nothing of a villain that he just power-acts his way through every scene to him, everyone remembering him as awesome. I'm going to sure. find her, and I'm going to hurt her, and then I'm going to kill you in front of her. <laughs> yeah, I had, you know, a, he's... I had a buddy who tweeted something along the lines of Mission Impossible 3 is the weird like this time it's personal movie but it's actually like the <laughs> least personal <laughs> yeah no because he de- like he doesn't know who the hell these people are they barely know him but he just goes from zero to kill your wife in <laughs> in 10 seconds Crazy. Um, so Bill Graham what are your general basic thoughts on this movie now that we're kind of like weirdly nitpicking it to death <laughs> Uh, we're 41 minutes into this podcast. That sounds uh, about right. Um, anyways, I really enjoyed this. Movie. Um, okay, but I yeah. didn't not enjoy it. I yeah. just yeah. So yeah. I'm 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 gonna say I'm not Michael style. I'm probably closer to you two guys. So. You just you just got some some issues with. I'm, I'm just saying that if I could do a supercut of all of the action scenes, like I think as an action delivery vehicle, this movie fucking rules in like yes. the action scenes that work. Yes, and, yeah. and I will I will also go to bat with that. Uh, I don't think some of these action sequences actually work, um, especially with the this is the greatest action film in the last 10 years kind of thing that's been running around, and I'm just like, yeah, that middle section is pretty damn good, but uh, did you see the rest of the movie? <laughs> like, I, All the people- you don't like the helicopter one? 
I mean, being um, being poorly cross cut is one, but the actual helicopter sequence in itself, it's it's more thrilling watching the YouTube video of how they made it than it is actually watching the end result. See, I, I could I could actually feel that in the footage watching it. I mean, maybe because I went into the movie knowing that, but at the same time, looking for it, knowing that Tom Cruise is piloting this helicopter, acting and controlling the camera simultaneously, I was like, holy shit. This guy's gonna die, and I'm <laughs> and I'm just sitting here, be, like being like, "All right, cool." And that yeah. that to me no, is um, a, yeah, priceless. <laughs> um, I I I enjoyed the film. I think I think it is way too long. I think some of the beats they bring back Rebecca Ferguson for not a lot in this film. I think it's it's pretty unfortunate. Um, they've had kind of a female issue in like all of the series over and over and over again. And I'm not sure why, um, still, you know, hashtag justice for Paula, but, um, I, I just don't understand why this film has to be as long as it is, why it has to be as convoluted as it is. Cause it's important. They it's have some form. It gets real. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ethan Hunt, he's a person. Like, I don't necessarily dislike what they actually do with Ethan Hunt's character, but as Brian is kind of mentioning, I don't really need it either, and it just adds a lot of, like, gravitas and weight that this film just can't really utilize in any any really effective manner. Um, I think the middle section is certainly the highlight of, of the entire film. Uh, both the, the quiet moments and the fast-paced moments during those... Um, and yeah, I think I think there's a lot of good additions here, but for the most part, this is the action is great, but I I just don't know where you go from this film forward. I'm not sure where this franchise is headed. It, it's it's interesting. Mm. So <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like you know, it's kind of funny because coming in, I was like, man, we're gonna talk for like 20 minutes. We're all gonna say that we liked the action, the story is absurd, and we're gonna be done. But somehow. <laughs> We've been going on for 45 <laughs> minutes and uh, we're still going. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I just, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. All right. They're talking again. Okay. Now we're having like a dream sequence. One of like three to five dream sequences. In this yeah. Movie. Sure. Didn't need that either. I, I, like, it's funny because I just listened to half of an interview with Christopher McQuarrie and, and talking about this film. And he was talking about how like just kind of the, the general tone of like what, what a mission impossible. And they, him and Cruz both called these films mission films, which I think is just hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why they need to like <laughs> abbreviate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Oh, mission is great. I, I love this franchise. It's like, why don't you just say mission impossible? It's one more syllable. They are busy, important people. They cannot waste time saying the full name of the movie. Um, but he mentioned straight off the bat. He was like, it's got to start with a cold open. And I'm like, well, this film definitely does that, but it doesn't have the cold open set piece. That that's that's mm. like the cold open. Wait, does it actually the cold open, open with is the not cold open? I don't. It I is every, call everything it cold. before. <laughs> I, would it, I would say <laughs> no, it's seriously. nuclear hot. I, I did see his breath. It's hot so, in terms real, of both does it, does, it, does it open with the exposition, or does it open with the scene where they lose the plutonium? 
spoiler. The cold open, I think, is everything before the they light the 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 fuse. Oh, so yeah. so it's all it's that's all one goal. whole thing. Yeah, yeah that any, that first three acts yeah. is <laughs> is the cold open. You are merciless here, today. This, this movie should have opened with him jumping out of the plane, and then it yeah, agreed. That's, that's how it should have been. Uh, you would you would have had to uh, understand what Cavill was doing there, but you can fit that in later. I think I, you, I think a you, good you should have opened with these here. two having a bad dynamic. <laughs> you have you what you do is you have that whole opening plane scene, and then once they land on the roof, you just have to have one of those stupid clunky exposition things where one of the guys says, "Now remember." And then explains in great detail something that the other character already knows. Now remember, we're here to meet John Lark. You're a CIA operative who I don't really want to work with. That would have been perfect because it could have been uh, Cruz telling, telling Cavill that. And then Cavill at the end of it going... I was at the mission briefing. I know. <laughs> now, the, actually, the like, smart the way to the smart way to do it would be to have everything happen exactly as it does. But then, when Elsa shows up, you have them actually have to like sit down and have a conversation. Oh yeah. Like yeah, you walk in, you do everything up until that point, and then instead of everyone acting like super fucking sketchy, she's just like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Well, what are you doing here?" And she's like, "I asked first. And he's like, "All right." Here's the deal. I fucked up. I valued Ving Rhames' life more than the life of every man, woman, and child on this planet. I got a bunch of plutonium stolen. Which, uh, honestly, fair. Yes. Just no, if it in. came down to the wife of my wife and child versus Ving Rhames, Ving wins every time. Um, so, I, Can I ask a theoretical it? here real quick, guys? I, I, I might be misremembering this, but around the time of Ghost Protocol uh, marketing... I, I remember some conversation that people thought Jeremy Renner might be taking his his place. Yes, when trailers that was the didn't plan. Work, when people thought that. So we're now three more <laughs> installments in, and you two know more. it's or two installments in. And I know this has become this does become a stale question of okay, do we need to reboot? Do we need to hand this to someone else? You know, and I'm I'm wondering whether you guys think. Um, you know, considering what we're saying about the how weak the uh, how how excuse me how weak the uh, character work is in here, is the problem Tom Cruise? Is that part of why we have such a disconnect? No, with this franchise. <laughs> no. no, I think that he is the only thing keeping me in this game. Yeah, here's, here's okay. the thing. I, I think the problem is that I think Tom Cruise producer version of Tom Cruise. And Macquarie have really overestimated how much viewers value the drama of Ethan Hunt as a character and how much we value the conflict of Tom Cruise versus Gravity. Like, that is the heart and soul of these movies, and which is why I think... A lot of these his set ankle pieces. loses all the time. Exactly, and, well, and I think that, that for for me, that's why this ended up. You know, my despite the fact that I think so much of this doesn't work, why this ended up sure. Um, you know, still leveling out for me was because I do think that this is the best Tom Cruise versus Gravity movie that we've maybe had so far. Um, <laughs> but that being said, it it does seem like the filmmakers kind of have a different view about what we should care about, which is sure. a problem and something that they need to fix. It's crazy to me that in a world where Ghost Protocol exists, 
you'd think this is the best Tom Cruise versus Gravity movie. I'm a little worried. In Ghost Protocol, is going he fights to do. Gravity with a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. He drives a car into Gravity and, he, and he wins. He has a good old climb sequence on there. I don't know. You guys, yeah. you guys sound down on that helicopter bit. But if that helicopter bit didn't cut elsewhere, the bit where they—I mean, we're gonna have to get into the, the spoilers and stuff. But there's. <sighs> The, Here's the, the thing: bits the where, helicopter where is a deeply a uncinematic <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> See, but again, that sequence continues on when they get off of the helicopters, and it still gets really strong. And you get a Mission Impossible two throwback. You get a little bit of rock climbing. You get a little bit of you do. I I kept expecting Ico Ico to start playing. That is true. Yeah. You, you um, get a little bit that's sort of. Uh, Evocative of Spielberg's like Lost World uh, yes, set piece. There. I was going to say a Lost World. <laughs> so like, like there's, yeah. there's yes. lots of layers to that set piece. Oh, that is uh, <laughs> that goes just beyond uh, the helicopters. But still, again, those ha- Tom Cruise like spinning that helicopter very close to those mountains. Pretty. I'm nuts. just like I I. There's a reason that the most iconic helicopter shots in cinema are a long take that just shows a helicopter approaching because helicopters are boring as fuck they can't do anything like they can't flip upside down so what do they work like yeah like top gun aerial combat dogfighting stuff that's fucking awesome like but like a helicopter is just like I guess I'm just gonna go up well, and, more. And these these helicopters apparently are so fucking lame that you have to have a machine gun inside of it. That, like like they can't even shoot at each other. Like, yeah, yeah, he has to have a squad automatic weapon in the boot of the helicopter. Yeah, okay, it's like what you're, the fuck you're, is going on? You guys here? are gonna tell me the bit where Cavill is just like, oh god, okay, and then he pulls it out of the back <laughs> isn't awesome. <laughs> I, I think I think that moment is great sure. and Cavill sells the shit out of it, but that's that's like Cavill <laughs> doing that more than like more yeah, than the helicopter. There's some, fun, there's some fun winks and nods in there, but No I no mean, no. I have a lot of thoughts know, let's, on the helicopter. Let's, let's First of all what was the payload it was carrying and why was it carrying it? <laughs> <laughs> Was it uh, so probably like um, so they just dropped they a bunch just of inoculated all they just dropped and stuff like that so it's it's needles it's yeah but there's like bad guys in there what, there's the bad thing. guys in the helicopters so I was confused why they had humanitarian like, supplies <laughs> no one seemed like concerned that like you know oh hey our helicopters just took off it's like ah they'll be back I'm sure um. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so they're they're making a pizza run. That's why they have the giant cargo net to carry all the pizzas for the villagers with smallpox. You know what? I, I do want to say one thing about, and not about helicopters, but about these action sequences in general, which I think partly loses me is I I think, you know, I feel like real time as uh, I think Brian actually mentioned the emphasis on real time. Um, but, you know, that is something that has been in this movie franchise since the beginning. But I can't help but not feel like Macquarie uh, is uh, way more fastidious with actually timekeeping. And that's why I think some of these action sequences um, just don't feel that interesting to me. Like, they feel precise and technical, and a lot of times I'm impressed by them, but it, it, when it comes to things like the helicopter chase and some of the things that are, are more drawn out, um, 
I do want him to condense time more. You know, when you're Josh, when you were mentioning the cross cutting a little bit, like you really feel like they're, you know, when there's 15 minutes that we're told about, you feel every second of that 15 minutes. And I feel like in most cases, I would love this. There's so many art house directors, for instance, who like, you know, make time feel like quicksand and it's wonderful. But for whatever reason, the way that Macquarie does it in this one, excuse me, in Rogue Nation as well as this one is part of what takes me out of some of these larger set pieces. And I just wondered I, um, if anybody had any feelings about how long some of these sequences feel. I think you're right. And I think one of the main things about it is just I, the main complaint that we have. It's the character. I feel like a lot of those times where we would have, you know, um, you know, time, we would have a beat with a character in an action scene. We need something that distinguishes them as a, as a person. A, 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 sure. even, even just to see Tom Cruise make a decision about something rather than just, you know, being like, I'm still doing the thing I was doing when you cut here last time. <laughs> Uh, would help uh, and yeah you're right it does hinder otherwise very impressively filmed and crafted and choreographed um, action so two things for me first of all <clears throat> in in the original and I guess in the second one a little bit Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt is very much like a thoughtful logical calculating machine and mm. ever since then, he's really turned into, like, a jazz player. Like, <laughs> in the first film, when he finds out that Jim Phelps is alive, and he's like, oh, this is what sure. happened. And he's saying one thing, but what he's thinking and shown to us in, in images on the screen is everything yeah. that Jim actually did. And so, mm. he, but he's, like, holding that close to the vest. But he isn't, like... Well, now I just got to like play this like crazy. It's like, no, he buys himself some time and he's going to keep everything up and things are going to be cool. And ever since then, like it's almost become like a joke where it's just like, oh, there's Ethan. He's going to jump onto a helicopter and like he's going to break his soul and his mind and his body in order to <laughs> save the day against impossible odds. But like in the first right. movie, he had a goddamn plan. He got everyone on that train. <laughs> He had the yeah. exploding gum, which, if I'm being honest, is cooler than the face masks. And I'm fucking <laughs> pissed off that it hasn't come back. I just want Emilio Estevez to hand it to me and say, don't chew it. And when we saw Simon Pegg have gum in this one, I was I was hoping. Yeah, you know, that's again, it's like the watch in the James Bond thing. It's like, I want a normal thing that does a crazy thing. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's no moment in this, like, say, in De Palma's first one, where he kind of, like, returns back to home hold base. On, hold on. Are you saying that the things that he does with that vehicle is not a crazy thing? But the vehicle wasn't normal? made to... I, okay, all right. I want a goldfish that turns into a machine gun. I don't want... You know? Like, I don't want it to be, like... I, I don't want it to be, like... What's uh, like night watch or day watch when like the woman drives the car on the side of a building because she's awesome? I want it to be like Goldeneye when he pulls out a wristwatch and shoots a laser out of it. Oh, Goldeneye's so good. I'm glad that I have been able to bring up two to three Timur Bekmembetov movies during the course of this. If only I had ever seen... What was that? Stu the, what Did he make a Ten Commandments movie? Is that what that was? Ugh. Tim Urbeck, I'm not sure. 
I, I don't know what you're. You're not about. talking about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. No, sure? I would know no. about. I would know if I was okay. referencing Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That's what we need. We need. We need the supernatural. We need Ethan Hunt like battling ghosts. Oh, and stuff. it was Ben. Wasn't that the oh, mummy? We got that. that was <laughs> it was, was Ben Hur. Is what I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, he yeah. did do that, and he That's produced right. Unfriended oh, no. Dark Web. Oh, oh no. Okay. The fall from grace has happened. Yeah. Hey, now, Dark Web's good. But but he only produced that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that Ben-Hur was no Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Um, okay. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, another movie that has a regular thing that does a crazy thing because Abraham Lincoln's fucking axe turns into a gun. Yep. yep. Anyway, what was I going to say? I can't even remember now. <laughs> We I were think talking you were, about uh, you were talking about goldfish and, and time. <laughs> so, you, were, you were talking about right, right. He's a jazz player Ethan, now. E- e- Ethan Hunt actually used to make decisions, and I mentioned yes. that a, a bit that I really loved about the first Mission Impossible is when he goes first. His whole team is killed. He knows, and he knows that they're coming after him because they think that he's the mole or whatever. And he goes home, and there's that Hitchcockian spiral staircase that he has to go yeah. through. And and his first thing that he does is he breaks the light bulb mm-hmm. and turns the lights off and throws it all over the floor. Yep. And again, that's just like you know, it's actual spycraft. It doesn't feel like there's mm-hmm. actual espionage or spycraft beyond you know the fact that they. <laughs> Also, sometimes wear a mask, I guess, if yeah. you undercover. In one steps uh, on that light bulb, he pops up, aims the gun at Claire, and he is doing like great, tired, bleary eyed blinking acting, if you recall. Like the best cinematic blinking of all time up until Prisoners, where we had Jake Gyllenhaal as sure. Detective Loki, who had better cinematic blinking because he was tired. Anyway, welcome. Well, Tom Cruise just yeah, looks no, tired I, now. I, I mean, that's because he's old, though. I, 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 do, <laughs> I, I do agree, Brian, that this series has gotten away from the actual spycraft and gotten away from, like, actually having people with a plan. But, you know, I just started watching, uh, it, it was on FX, I guess, uh, Gross Protocol. And, like, he's freewheeling throughout that film as well. And it's, it is unfortunate because it's just like, okay, like, at a certain point, these films, you start putting them back to back to back, and they start becoming super, like... It's already ridiculous, right? I mean, the series is called Mission Impossible, but it's like it starts to just build and build and build to the point where there's no going back, where if he makes a mistake and a and a situation doesn't work, you're just like, what what well, fucking here's movie the thing, is this? Bill, you, know, you brought like, up uh, Ghost Protocol. The thing about that movie is during that movie, they had initiated Ghost Protocol. And what that means is... Wait, what, is the, what does that mean again? It means I don't remember what the fuck that he means. He and the team have been disavowed, <laughs> but the okay. IMF is still covertly supporting them, but only insofar as, like, giving them a final mission to do while they're under ghost protocol. So okay. it's, like, it's like if the FBI was forced to disband, but everyone got, like, one last case they had to solve, but they couldn't do it in an official capacity. And the purpose of solving that case was to bring the FBI back. So... Ghost Protocol is initiated. Now, what that means is that all their technology is, like, old and, like, forgotten, and it sucks, and they fuck up a lot. Sure. Yeah. Well, see, and I think I think the fact that people responded positively to that is the reason we have what we have now. 
is that now that's just hmm. all we have. I, I can't even think of a good analogy. It's like if you if you were a professional <laughs> and one time you had to like improvise and then everyone was like, oh shit, you were really good. Like you're a chef and you forgot your knife so you had to use a credit card to cut up like the fish for dinner. And everyone was like, the fish was extra good this time. Mm-hmm, we're going to mm-hmm. take your knives away. You're only ever allowed to use a credit card. That's like what happened to the Mission Impossible movies is that like they were like, hey man, people really responded to that kind of like freeform, jazzy, kind of like breathless, we only got one shot at this and we don't have like the tools we need. And so it's like, okay, well, let's just turn into that. And so like the IMF was never a very well-run organization. The first five of these movies were about it being infiltrated or about someone betraying them. (laughs) But like they always were there. Yeah. And now it seems like the IMF is like a task rabbit person who's just like, I don't care how you do it, but do it. Here's your five dollars. He's our finest (laughs) student. Let's see what he does. So, I mean, like, and again, I'll say like, I, you know, this movie, I loved the Paris chase. I loved everything that happened in that nightclub. I liked, um, what else Mm -hmm. did I like? I liked, uh, the bathroom bro. Well, that happened in the nightclub. Oh yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess those are the two major set pieces, but I guess it's just weird because it's so many mini set pieces, kind of like scattered. Yeah, that's throughout major. Ones. Like each each one of those set pieces that Brian just named were forty. Minutes yeah, each. so like <laughs> this is a like, loud ass wow. movie. There is very little. Yeah, I guess I'd say every everything that happened in Paris, a lot of what happened in London, which is a lot, and yep. and I guess like. Some of what happens in 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 where they yeah in Kashmir, Kashmir, yeah yeah, which is really just Norway. You're saying that they filmed it in Norway, right? Okay, yes. <laughs> I thought you were just being like yeah, yeah, yeah. super dismissive of world geography. <laughs> Whatever, we all know Kashmir is just Norway. It's like yeah. Can we go totally. into spoilers now? Um, yeah, I'm very interested in uh, the geopolitics of the region. So is the series. <laughs> So Eddie, so like I, I'm I'm sounding super negative, and I apologize. But like I think that like addressing the absurdity sure, of this movie sure. is a lot more fun than just saying I like that part where yeah. he punched that guy. It's true, but there are there is you, also no moment like the Jack Reacher moment where he like beats a dude to death. <laughs> with head. That's true. We should get into spoilers. Yeah, let's. All right. So spoilers. Um, when Ilsa shoots that guy in the face, and. And then Henry Cavill's like, can you still make the mask? Yes. And Tom Cruise is like, I need a face. And then they drag him out, and there's just a, like so much blood on the ground. And That's then when great. some fucking guys walk in, she tries to play it off like Henry Cavill yeah. has a fucking nosebleed. And Tom Cruise is like, what, you there's want some like- too? I punched this guy so hard, all the blood left his body. <laughs> I like how Cavill's like, can I get sanitation in here? <laughs> yeah, he John Wicks it. He's like, I need a dinner reservation. <laughs> Harvey Keitel's gonna show up. <laughs> that whole that whole sequence is fucking masterful because, like, A, we've seen Cruz kind of go toe-to-toe with just about anybody at this point. And, like, we don't know kind of uh, Henry Cavill's character, but, like... <laughs> He's introduced as a hammer versus Cruz's scalpel, and so you're like, "Oh, I've well, never this guy's here in one of these movies." It it's so strange and, that Angela and, Bassett. It's always like, you know, 
uh, yeah, we're like the army wants to come in here. We don't want them. So like, because we're they're a broadsword and we're a scalpel. And she's like, you're a scalpel. He's a hammer. Why would you fucking want a hammer? <laughs> like, what is the? G- yeah, yeah, yeah. They're bad doctors. <laughs> it's just like the weirdest thing where it's like I need someone who's less exacting and less good. Like I just need like, and she doesn't even. She You're doesn't. dealing with very intricate foreign well, policy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just sledgehammer. But what's even weirder is she doesn't say what kind of job they're doing. So it's not like she's like, you know, this isn't like brain surgery. This is like execution. We don't need a scalpel. We need like a hatchet. She's like, I don't care what the job is. This hammer, I'll take it over the scalpel. Um, but anyways, so they kind of set set up like this guy or uh, these two are probably going to be able to handle whatever they run into. And then the guy kicks both of their asses like handily. And I was like, oh, shit. Like they're actually having fun with the fact that like Henry Cavill's like this big brute, but like he can hold his own and so can Tom Cruise. And it doesn't fucking matter because this guy ripped a piece of plumbing off of a bathroom like sink and now he's just kicking ass with it and it's like when he wow. shepherd crooks henry cavill that was a great moment in cinema <laughs> it's it's amazing um it's also probably one of the biggest beatings tom cruise has ever taken on screen because he he gets absolutely pummeled he pummels everybody <laughs> except that bullet <laughs> Outside of Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, probably this is the biggest. Oh, which again, uh, McQuarrie actually, I believe, did the screenplay yes. for that one, and that is actually one of the best uses of Tom Cruise, perhaps yeah. ever, because it like fulfills that deep longing in you to see him die a bunch. But it murders him enough that when he improbably succeeds, you're like, all right, he's earned it. But like, I I love like the setup and execution of all of that sequence because, like. Okay, so they know that they're supposed to stab this guy with an, with this thing that's going to make him drunk and, like, super easy to kind of, like, maneuver or whatever. And then they can just, like, make a copy of his face. And what is the first thing that Henry Cavill does is as soon as the, the like, syringe thing goes out the window, he just hits him with the fucking laptop. And then, like, Cruz opens it up and looks at the laptop and is just like, oh, you motherfucker. Like... You hit him with the laptop. That's the thing that we make the face with. Like, why would you hit him with that? And so... What's so funny yeah. about all this, too, is that it's actually pretty much ripped straight from Guy Ritchie's Man from Uncle, which is what I'm assuming they <laughs> cast Henry Cavill mm-hmm. for in this, which is the exact same dynamic, only Henry Cavill is playing mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. suave, like, Bond type, and Army Hammer <laughs> is the sort of uh, brunt, uh, blunt force uh, r- Russian in that case. But it's the exact same dynamic of the sort of comedy that arises from two very different styles of of combat and it works very well i think he was he was probably cast off of man of steel because they're like we need someone who can throw someone through a wall and then they saw man of steel and it's like well if he can convincingly throw someone through a building when he's supposed to be the good guy <laughs> then obviously as the bad guy he can and the, and they were like they were like but but we need to make sure audiences know he's not uh, the guy from Man of Steel so can he grow a mustache? You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy oh, he can. is that Perfect. they call it a mustache. It's really just like a beard that maybe he shaved part of it more than the other part. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he was always going for the mustache, but then Movember hit and he's like, well now I can't shave any of it. 
Did you guys? I, I have to ask though. I mean, with a few exceptions, I I did find him kind of flat in this movie. I really like Man from Uncle, so it's it interesting you mentioned that, Josh, because I think I wanted more of more of that uh, like kind of peppy spirit. I I don't know. I found him pretty flat in this, other than a few like ex- notable exceptions. I mean, the scene that Brian already mentioned, and even I I love just the little bit of body language when he like um, cranes his head out when the door opens from behind a column, and and it's just like every once in a while I saw that bit of vitality that I saw in something like Man from Uncle, but I don't know as this movie went on I, I went on and. I definitely thought he was actually British uh, at that one scene where he yells and goes into a British accent for some reason. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, so other than like those main scenes, do you guys like him as a, you know, as a heel or, or I think he carries himself very, very well, but I think you're right that the screenplay doesn't take full advantage of his presence, especially during, I thought the, um, um, the breakout Paris sequence and stuff like that, where he kind of just like sits sure. in the passenger seat and then is in the back seat, and it's really funny because he's a huge dude in a tiny car. But <laughs> other than look, if you're in Europe and you're an American film, you have to make a tiny. But, but other than that, he doesn't. He actually doesn't get a lot of time with crews sure. to show you how different he is, um, which is just a little odd considering that they set it up very early on, and it's probably some of the most successful. Uh, uh, writing and uh, action in the film. I am um, so like I kind of <laughs> dug it because like you know we make we make fun of we don't really talk about it a lot but when we do we make fun of Tom Cruise being a short man, um, and so I like Henry Cavill being like the big guy, the hulking guy, like the the hammer to the scalpel, and I like the fact that he he's like he's so Tom Cruise. Is going to a party with all his fucking friends, and his mom made him take his dumb older brother along. And Tom Cruise is walking in the rooms, being like, "Ilsa, baby, how you doing? Love how you shot that dude in the face." Um, White Widow, hey, I'm gonna pretend I'm a guy, you know? Yeah, baby, you know, uh, fucking Benji, Luther, guys, great to see you. And then behind him is big, slightly mustachioed Henry Cavill going. Hi, my name's Walker, and everyone's like, "We don't give a shit, Walker." <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I like this movie more. I like the third or like the second or third time he did that. I was like, I love that. Like, no one gives a fuck, and he keeps trying to introduce himself. Like, I'm Walker. You're gonna want to remember me because I'm Walker. And then she says, "You're welcome." That that was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> does, yeah. So um, yeah, I like I liked that, and then he turns out to be the villain. He is okay, John yeah. Lark. Okay, cons- I I, uh, I like him. You like him, just in general, or because as uh, yeah. okay, <laughs> just, just in general. Right, Henry a, Cavill, likable actor. Guy. Good guy. Henry Cavill's good guy. just good. That's what he should do. Every every fucking junket, he should just go up and be like, "Hi, Henry Cavill, likable actor." <laughs> <laughs> I do find it funny how suave and charming and sort of like light his voice is in comparison to like some of the action that they have him doing. Um, which it works much, uh, I mean, it works very well in Man from Uncle, which is a movie that I actually really like. And Same. I thought that if we were going to have a new spy franchise, that would be my pick. But it works even more here just because of how, I guess, <laughs> how much of a brute he's intended to be uh, in this. And even when they have him sort of like sitting in a helicopter, just the way that he's sitting 
is like really commanding for no reason. <laughs> yeah, he seems of the so show. casual, but it seems like he can't relax, and he's just well, like he's, he's he, just kind of like sitting there, just like I'm gonna get this fucking done. I'm gonna get this fucking done, and he's just like, what is wrong with you? Why are you sitting like that? <laughs> but, but but then he talks, and he's like, you know what, guys? Like I just wanna uh, blow up the world or whatever, and I'm just like. <laughs> I can't really reconcile all of the dialogue that he gets with yeah, like his Sean Harris. Sean Harris is all like, "There can be no peace before <laughs> great suffering." And then Henry Cavill's like, "You know, when I wrote those words, <laughs> I wasn't expecting them to sound quite that scary." But you're an intense British man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he was, he was when he was taking when he was taking care like uh credit for that i was i was dying on the inside i was like that you didn't write that like that's that's silly can you just imagine henry cavill bounding down the stairs to tell his oh so proud mother that he finished his manifesto because i just like you know it's not i think i don't think he lives with his mom i think his mom lives with him because she's sick because he just seems like a first class eagle scout and you know, it's just like, it's so weird that, like, yeah, he's a charming, charming man. And it's almost weird that, like, even when he becomes a villain, he doesn't come off as particularly villainous. Like, I didn't connect him as being John Lark. I was literally just about to ask all of you guys, like, what, what was he getting out of this? Was it money? But I was like, oh, no, he's the guy with the manifesto. My exact question. <laughs> You, you you definitely don't buy that he's some impassioned radical no. of any kind. <laughs> if anything, he looks like he wants to like, like take like a nap he, on the couch. He's a frustrated is, like, first done. draft John, Don Draper, and he's just like, you know, I you know he had it's toasted, but I had without suffering there can be no peace, and no one loved that. I got thrown out of Sterling Cooper That's his carousel. <laughs> I do okay. So I just want to I want I want to lay this out, and you guys. Tell me if I'm right. So, Sean... Is this the underground part we're going to talk about? Sean... Well, yeah, it's going to feed into that. So, Sean Harris, from the last movie, he's been captured, all right? And so, the Syndicate, which is the name of the Syndicate that makes up the Rogue Nation, is in fractured pieces. The CIA has just been murdering them all, but there's still a couple left that no one knows of. They're called the Apostles, because, you know, religious imagery is cool. Um... The apostles have bought the. D- okay, I'm gonna get no. through this, Michael. Give me a second. My, my so the apostles. No, I'm done. The, the the apostles are a loosely collected band of dudes. John Lark is not an apostle. John Lark is a radical yes. anarchist who teams up with Niels DeBook de or whatever his name is. Who is a anti-religious fanatic he, and nuclear scientist? And nuclear right? scientist, and so okay. <laughs> so he designed and I guess built the bombs. And Lark was like, "Hey, dude, I'm totally down with your anti-religious views. I'm gonna go get this plutonium." And Lark's like, "Great," or no, yeah, Niels is like, "Cool, I've made the bombs. You just gotta slot the the, the plutonium in it." And he's like, cool. And so, don't even come from. That was just stolen by some people, right? <laughs> some people who don't matter. White Widow knew somebody who had it, right? So that it was just the people who they bought it from were not the apostles because the apostles stole I it from th- them after they'd bought it. Y- y- okay, sure. so 
So, yes. So, <laughs> I th- so that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Th- I don't no. know. I, I, think, I think that that ten minute mission brief. Right, it comes from like Kazakhstan. Ten minute mission brief yeah. mentions where that plutonium comes because they definitely mentioned the three cores. Yeah, but and and they're like, oh, Russia. You know, they they had it just laying around in in one of their facilities. And and <laughs> look, we've we've all seen Nicholas yeah. Cage's God of War. Like, we know how this works. <laughs> Lord of That's War. It. That's right. <laughs> they say you are the Lord of War. Actually, I would watch. You that. mean a warlord? Um, I watched it a couple months ago. It still holds up. Um, no, I was watching Nicolas Cage's God. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would watch that too. So anyway, so so what happens is so what happens is the plutonium gets jacked, right? So the apostles have it, and the apostles are working for John Lark to acquire the plutonium from the first guys who had the plutonium. And the cost to John Lark for the plutonium is breaking out Sean Harris. And so they do. So they can become the same right, again. Right, because I guess they want to, They miss their dad. And so, <laughs> so they break out Sean Harris, but then the White Widow's all like, I don't like that British bitch that you're with, so I want her too. And Tom Cruise is all like, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, totally cool. And because she's the broker... And then, and when did they, so that the, so the apostles, so the apostles have all the plutonium. Ethan Hunt is pretending to be John Lark. He gets one piece of plutonium. And then at the same time, MI6 wants Ilsa Faust to kill Sean Harris because he knows too much. And the CIA is thinking that maybe Ethan Hunt's the bad guy. And they also wanted John Lark to get John Har- or Sean Harris's character, Solomon Lane, because they wanted them yes. both. Because they're tired of sharing him with the entire world that's been interrogating him for two years straight. And then... And then, so they, so the, but the apostles already have the plutonium, so, so John Lark just needs to go to them. But here's the thing, so if the apostles already have the plutonium, they've already built the bombs, why do they have to sell it to John Lark so John Lark can build the bombs? We've already spent way too much time on this. None of this matters. This film film (laughs) reeks of they wrote it as they were going, and they just kept adding shit, and they were like, oh, hey, this would be a fun twist. Hey, how about you be the bad guy? Oh. I don't know. I don't know, man. Okay. (laughs) But at the very least, they do a decent job of, like, having that underground sequence where they're like, okay, we're going to sit down and explain this to y'all. You thought that was good? (laughs) That was not a good sequence? Okay. No, I I did, not, I did not say that was good, but they do a good job of at least acknowledging, like, this shit doesn't make any sense. But at the end of all of that, this shit doesn't make any sense, let me tell it to you, they still end up with two plutonium cores, and you're like, hey, wait, uh, how, how did they get those? And so, yeah, this is why Brian's like, uh... Like John Lark already had them, and Henry Cavill's John Lark. So, why? What? I don't know. Right. Why does John Lark need 
Neat. The third one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, like, I guess three is better than two if you're trying to nuke a water supply. That is, that is you know, it's true. Good yeah. Good to have. Right, because they can't. Because it's like you know, each of these bombs needs ten gallons of gasoline. Well, we only have twenty. All right, well, then well, we the don't sequel, need guys. the third one. <laughs> but the, the 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 underground scene though is very notable because um, a colleague of mine. Uh, Adam Naiman in his review in The Ringer he pointed out that it's almost beat for beat the exact same thing as that Key and Peele skit where just uh, some he's just like oh you thought uh, you had your guns on me actually I had a drone on you this whole time actually I had a sniper on that drone actually you're actually a psyop and I have control over your brain actually that's just I'm a triple agent and my dog is involved and like (laughs) And, and like that's What's... kind of the sequence of events that takes place as as they're like Henry Cavill is changing sides and then the CIA comes in and they're like actually the CIA is taking all of you in and then Henry Cavill's like actually half the CIA is actually me. <laughs> well, it, it starts even it starts even before that because Alec Baldwin's all like Hunt, I agree that you're a rogue nation. I'm gonna have to take you in, and they're like no, and then they stabby stab him with a thing, but they didn't actually do it because he was just trying to make it seem like it was so that Cavill would feel comfortable going in and talking to Sean Harris, who's not actually Sean Harris, but is actually Simon Pegg in a Sean Harris mask. Yes. Well, like, okay, but at the end of all of that sequence, right, so so they figured out that Henry Cavill, this big, hulking, monstrous fucking Superman, has double-crossed them, right? What do they do? They sit there and talk to him like a normal human being, and then, like, the lights go out, and they're like, oh, shit, like, this is a bad situation. Hey, did we ever tie up that big, hulking, monstrous dude? Oh, no, we didn't, did we? We just fucking... He's just like, so likable, like, He's just disarming. sitting there, and at some point, he's like, I'm not John Mark, and you're just like, no, dude, like... you're." <laughs> We just yeah. listened to all of that, and you talked about your manifesto. You're definitely John Lark, and you even mentioned that you were like John what? Lark or something like that. He's and then, and but then like, he tries to play it off like I was just doing that to get the information out of Sean Harris. Yeah, and you're just like, no, like you can't get your way out of this, and somehow he does. How about that? Well, because half of the CIA is on his side. We got. Well, yeah, but we got it. We, we got another set piece. That's why <laughs> Tom Cruise has to run on some buildings and stuff. That was which oh, is really I fun totally to watch, forgot actually. about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't like generally that. have that a problem fun. with the jumps that we're talking. I mean, it's dumb when we're trying. To, it's crazy that four people are trying to parse out where, you know, where the plutonium is, and we don't know where it came from. But like, I, I think where that does actually bother me, like on a moment to moment level, is like I don't understand, for instance, Sloane's motivation in that and and it's it, it's not uh angela bassett's character it's like bizarre. like it, it's okay. convolutions there that no longer become about narrative and become about like i have no idea what even some characters motivations are and i don't need it to be crystal clear but like i just think this movie really kind of like drops the ball in, in in terms of like even making this basically coherent on an emotionally uh, logical level, like that's that's where I think this movie I think becomes really disappointing and honestly like worrying for the franchise for me. There's I when I got really worried <clears throat> was um, when Ving Rhames was telling Ilsa. I don't know why I'm going by character <laughs> names for some people. 
We're all over the place. It's just easier. It's just when Luther is telling Ilsa Faust about, like, you know, I I only I've only seen Ethan be close with two women, and like the first was his wife. That that that's that's absolutely, if not the worst scene, one of them. There's still the end. There's still the end. The the end is worse. Yes, that would that would those those two scenes are in competition with each other. What makes that first scene worse for me is how fucking hard Ving Rhames is playing that. Like, yeah. like if this were a Sundance film and he was talking to someone about like his brother who's struggling with a meth addiction, like he would get a goddamn oh, Academy no. Award because he's got the perfect amount of like Flemmy about to cry voice and like the roomy like teary eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Fingrames is selling the shit <laughs> out of that terrible fucking plot from fucking yeah. Mission Impossible 3 that I prayed to God we wouldn't see after Ghost Protocol. Sure. Like, you know, and it's just like. And I love like, how Tom Cruise comes into the room and he's like, hey guys. <laughs> I love that it ultimately just boils down to Ethan Hunt, he ain't no ho, and he don't kill cops. And that's yeah. it. That, like, that's, that's literally what they're, and they're like, just so you know, this is really important to the emotional through line of this franchise. He will throw a motherfucker out of a helicopter, but if it's a pretty female cop, he will not shoot her. Um Mm-hmm. And he will, Good yeah. Know. I mean, like, well, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Shit. I mean, like, yeah. Ving Rhames sells it so hard, and it all comes Shit. down to like, my boy got a crush on you, and it's just like, oh, and he like he can't do his job if he's got a crush on you. It's like, well, you know, sucks to so, be yeah, him. Yeah, I, I got a I got a fucking job to do, and he's like, you know, it's so weird how much Ethan's like, Ilsa, you got to get out of this life. And she's like, but I don't, I don't want to. I, like, there, there's a very weird, there's a very weird, almost Dickensian through line to Ilsa's character. She's like, she's like the kept woman of like the British intelligence service, because like in in sure. in Rogue Nation, they were like, you've been under too long, Ilsa. We don't know if we can trust you, and she has to prove herself. And then in this movie, they're like. We still don't know if we can trust you. <laughs> if you could murder that man for us, that would be capital. Um, Brian, you're doing so many impersonations this episode. I might be punchy as fuck. I gotta tell you guys, I don't know what's wrong with me. But yeah. No, it's good. It's good stuff. How many, stuff. See, um, how many have I done so How about so far? that motorcycle sequence? I was gonna say, that's it. this is what we haven't got to enough, because we've talked so much, I think, about how all of the plotting and characterization is very thin, uh, you know, at, at a base level, doesn't work, and then gets a, more absurd as we watch those characterizations go through a plot that we can hardly track. Um, but the set pieces do ground the film um both literally and um you know from moment to moment because every once in a while i'm like why am i here and then i'm like oh that's right tom cruise <laughs> is like driving in he's running through the arc de triumph <laughs> roundabout and, and i'm like uh this is amazing and the camera is sure. going you know between vehicles and it's i mean it's just it's sort of like a, a primal gut level reaction to seeing footage like that there is there is something amazing about like that whole Paris sequence, whether it's in the car or whether it's on the motorcycle. When he's just like, you can feel that that motorcycle is being pushed to its limits mm-hmm. because I don't know if y'all have ever ridden a motorcycle or seen how they 
kind of are supposed to handle, but they don't do turns very well. And the entire time he's sticking out his foot and like making these like 90 degree turns. And you're just like, Oh no, this is not how motorcycles work at all. Like they are good in long, like straights. They are not good at turning rapidly. And it's just like, Ooh, all of this sequence is phenomenal because it's still taking like the logistics of like what a motorcycle can actually do and just like upping the ante just enough to where you're like, oh, he just missed that car by like inches. <laughs> it's just like, There's an awesome wow. three, 360 degree shot too where he's like spinning around looking for a new avenue yeah. while like every yeah. uh, basically uh, street is being filled up by police cars mm-hmm. and we kind of see it happen one at a time. Uh, and again, it's just, it, it's impeccably choreographed and staged um, and then the, the filmmaking is uh, pretty uh, proficient and thrilling while you're watching it happening. It's just a really good angle to take Tom Cruise, you know, risking his life on screen. <laughs> they do the same thing with the foot chase when he's in the uh, the church oh, yeah. during the yeah, funeral, the um, yeah, which is a great. I, I wonder. I wonder if scene. their reaction was was being inter, inter, or interrupted, or if it was because it was Tom Cruise, and they're like, "You Scientology." <laughs> I think solid eyes wide shut reference. In every single person there was like, "That's fucking Ethan Hunt." I feel safer going to fucking bed at night because Ethan Hunt is out there. Our dark knight. Our silent protector. We'll chase him because he can take it. Oh, that's what I was going to say. There were many points during this film where the score and the general action reminded me of the dark knight. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, 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 it doesn't help that this film and The Dark Knight both reference the exact same heat sequence yeah. and literally steal the score from uh, Michael Mann's sequence in there. That sort of like sort of like high strings yeah. with like the boom, boom yeah uh, to kind of get you into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the Dark Knight also stole that basically same score for its scene, but then this movie takes it a step further and literally steals the setup of having these giant trucks it, on the side that they're gonna knock right. over. It, it steals the, okay so like the dark knight steals the music and a little bit of like the tone from the heat scene and then this movie steals, this steals the, the heat, heat scene, scene <laughs> the other heat scene and the dark knight it's just everything it's like okay so there's that first heat thing where they ram a, a car with another car all right we're gonna do that they also sort of do that in the dark knight now then there's the other heat scene when they've been blown because uh wayne grow told the guy to be a CI and all of a sudden, you know, I just saw heat the other day, so I could go through the whole thing. I won't, but it's like, so then <laughs> they have to, with their ski masks on, like shoot everyone in the fucking face. All right. So we're going to do that too, but it's going to be a dream sequence because Tom Cruise won't kill cops. And then of course there's the fact that, but we want to show it because it would be, cool. yeah. And so it's yeah. like, so we've got two heat scenes and the dark night all at once. That was the Denny V scene, by the way, that re- that was the, the dream scene that reminded sequence. me of Denny V. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Denis Villeneuve. It is, it, it is, it is like the the moodiest, um, uh, most evocative sequence I was, actually in the film, which kind of sucks that it's a. Dream. I was I fucking amped sure for that to be the way real more thing. fascinated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the the score like cuts out completely during that sequence, and you're just like, holy shit! They're like they just jumped ahead or are fucking like rolling with this plan already. And you're just like, wow. And I honestly think that that would have been a more interesting direction to take the character of Ethan Hunt. Sure. It reminded me of, uh, I guess this is a somewhat basic reference, but, uh, the, the call of duty modern warfare to airport 
level, oh, yeah. which is something which is a big controversy, but it yeah. was still a sensation that is so rare in film and video games to feel. Right, because you, know, you see him not shooting anyone, and then he gets shot at and, like, on instinct, wounds this guy. And sure, then I, he's standing there, he's like, I gotta fucking kill this guy, but I don't want to. But then everyone stands behind him. And I was yeah, like, this yeah. is dark as shit. I love it. Oh, we're back. Yeah, and well, we're back in the planning room. Yeah, well, it, it actually like makes logical sense for the character arc that they kind of set up that they don't really follow through because they set up like, oh, you fucked up. You sided with Fiend Grames instead of, you know, just walking away with the plutonium. Oh, right, right. Course. For the greater good. And, yeah. And, and you're like, OK, here's your moment. And they give it to you and they even give you that payoff. And you're like, holy shit he's kind of learns his lesson and he's like trying to make retribution for it and then they're like nah just kidding that's what i thought was going to be the conflict i thought they were going to be like ethan like we know we told you that sure i i should be doing the alec Baldwin voice ethan <laughs> i know <laughs> i know that like losing the plutonium because you loving rames was a hard hit for you but jesus christ you killed 400 french police officers <laughs> why would you do that and then Ving Rams could be I'm, like you've changed Ethan and Ethan's like it's for the mission Luther I can't allow myself to lose myself to my feelings anymore and then Michelle Monaghan would show been, up and be like I'm a doctor I'm married to Wes Bentley <laughs> it would have been perfect if Cruz would have just been like I hate french fries and you're just like what that's why you killed all those cops like that's not justice the fucking french didn't even invent those Ethan <laughs> no, but you like, guys why are, are they called French fries? Josh, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say you guys are touching on something interesting, and that's the idea that the film really sets up this idea of the consequences of decision making, the fallout. Sure. And then none of that actually happens by the time. The right, film because ends. there like is the no cold? fallout. Fucking Michelle Monaghan's like, I know that you ruined my life and estranged me from my family and friends, and I'm now on the run across the world, and I'm going to war zones and, like, breakouts and pandemics that could kill the world. But I am so happy. I am so fulfilled. I married Wes Bentley. And, you know, if it weren't for you, I never would have met Wes Bentley. And I, like, love knowing that you're out there keeping us all safe. I'm going to go. I love Wes Bentley. And Ilsa Faust that's, is just like, good, we don't need another pouty-lipped, narrow-nosed brunette horning in on my <laughs> <Wow>. territory. <laughs> that they was a little... Look, uh... <laughs> they, they do look oddly similar when they both had their hair pulled back and you're just like, oh, you, you're just gonna... Oh, you put them side by side. Ethan Hunt like, has a facing type. Facing each other. My uh, my partner, we only first we only watched uh, Mission. She hadn't seen any of the Mission Impossibles, and finally decided she wanted to watch them. So we watched the original Mission Impossible, and we did uh, five today before six. Um, and when this movie started, since she hadn't seen three, she was like, "Did they recast Rebecca Ferguson?" <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then she was hearing Sean Sean Harris's voice, and because he had the beard, she was also like, "Wait, is that the same guy?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Christopher McQuarrie pulled a David Milch, perfect. where he's just like, "Well, I really love Garrett Dillahunt. I know that he murdered Wild Bill, but I'm also going to have him be this guy from the Hearst organization." I would love it if anyone who listens to this could please give me a tally of what references and voices I've done. I feel like I've lost my mind. Um, that final scene is fucking terrible, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Josh, wait, I, I want to hear, I wanna hear Josh talk about this because, Josh, you brought it up and you seem like super unhappy with it. So I'd just love to hear like 
a good two minutes of nothing but your thoughts on this. Sure. I absolutely hated every second of this. It is uh, overlit, and it's there to have Tom Cruise um, in this heavenly glow. He's recently stopped a nuclear bomb from going off. Um, he's been emotionally, with the uh, throughout the entire film, been dealing with the fact that you know some of the decisions that he's made have had unintended consequences to people that he cares about and that sucks and i agree with him it really sucks and and dude you have done a lot but it's not enough and then one at a time every single character of the movie approaches him and says do you know what man it was enough you're so awesome you're so good we love you uh Thanks. It's like it's like the And then the movie ends. It's, it's the end like of Lost. The, it's like when you're a kid. I like I say a kid, like between high school and college, and every time you fuck up royally, you spend like a good two hours alone in your room in the dark, like thinking of every way that the way that you fucked up might end up being good for someone else to try to assuage yourself of the guilt. So you're like, oh my god, like I fucking got drunk and murdered a pedestrian because I was driving. But what if he grew up to be Hitler? And like, or what if like when he died, his parents checked his room and they found like a gun and plans to shoot up his school. Like, wouldn't it be great if the parents would come into my room right now and say, thank you for murdering our son. You saved so many people's lives. And Tom Cruise is like that, but a Mission Impossible movie. (laughs) Tom Cruise wrote this scene. He had to. He was just like, I'm going to lay here in this bed. I've had a really rough time with this movie. If everyone could just come up and talk about how great I am. <laughs> this, is, this is actually the, 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 movie the hospital hasn't done that recovering enough. from <laughs> his ankle injury. <laughs> every, every lovingly ham-fisted, crafted shot of everything I do being amazing hasn't done this enough. I need every character to literally say it to my face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me... Let me... Talk about this helicopter scene. Oh, God. God damn it. Part of the reason why it doesn't work for me. Because, like, I've, I've suspended my disbelief so far in this movie. And then he takes off and he's like, hey, guys, that little thing that needs to be, like, carefully handled and, like, disarmed, <laughs> I'm going to go grab one helicopter and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run my helicopter into the other one. That should work, right? And you're just like, holy fuck, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen on cinema ever. here's, Here's the thing. I loved that. No! Unquestionably. Like, that, that was that was absolutely uh, my favorite part, that he's been pushed so Two and a so half far. hours in, <laughs> you're just like, this is our solution. You're like, you wrote yourself into a fucking corner, and you were just like, well, I'm, I'm just going to kiss the corner then. And it's just I'm like, just going to kiss the do. corner? That's not what you do at all. Just love, like fucking love. and Furious 6 scene. That's what it especially reminded me of. Just love on this corner. With the tank. <laughs> Because I, I wish there was more of this. This is better of, and maybe not like more of, they wrote themselves into a corner and let's just find a way out, but more of this is a really, he literally doesn't have a decision or a choice to make here. It's just like, I'm going to do what on a sort of instinctual level feels right. And what feels right is absolutely stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what I, but 
<laughs> but he's going to physically commit to it, and he's going to be like, this seems to be the only course of action there I is, did, and Tom Cruise is going to I physically do it himself. I, was, I found it incredibly impressive. I think that so, what's weird is that like in the last movie, Alec Baldwin says, Ethan Hunt is like the physical manifestation of destiny. And in this, it's like, Ethan Hunt is a puppet of chance. Like... <laughs> Dancing on the strings of random happenstance, <laughs> held up by the nothing but the cruel hand of you're fate. St- you're still going, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I can't do uh, that anymore. The, the way I wanted this film to end so bad, and they set it up, and it's it's just like this perfect chef's kiss way to end this franchise as a whole, is that little piece of like disarmament thing, whatever the fuck it is, the walkie-talkie looking thing, it's sitting on the edge of the cliff, and they're counting down how much time they have, and I just wanted Ethan to just jump towards the ledge, grab it, and him go, okay, guys, we got five, four, and they're like, why are, why are you counting us down? And he's like, I'm falling through the air right now. I'm going to die. I need y'all to sequence this together. And, and, like, and then, boom, he hits the thing. He disarms it. And then, he cr- boom, he crushes right into the mountainside or whatever. The- and I was just like, that's the way you end this fucking movie. Is by like, fucking murdering Tom Cruise? <laughs> yes. That's the craziest he's, thing He's got to make the ultimate sacrifice. That's- he's He's got to pay for his dumbass plan to run another helicopter into another But see, one. that's the, this and is the thing, like, Bill, is, is that this, this franchise isn't about like specter level, like, like that whole con- consequence. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not about him having to pay or to like be the sacrificial lamb in that way. But it can. But be it's so uh, no because easily. the only thing that's keeping this good is the fact that like Tom Cruise seems to earnestly enjoy like throwing himself into the maelstrom. And like if they made it like oh the sins of Ethan Hunt now have to be rec- like reckoned with, you know, it, like that would just it would suck. And that's like what I was concerned mm. about in this movie. And what's weird is that. It comes really close, and I'm still uncertain of the power dynamic between Lark and Solomon Kane. No, Solomon <laughs> Lane. Lane. <laughs> and, and Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> no, so what? So what I was? So what I was? What I'm thinking is like, isn't Lark the guy who hired Solomon, or is Solomon the guy who hired Lark? Because like. Oh God! I can't believe I'm getting back into they the yell, plot. Oh, yeah, what are you doing, at, bro? They they like, yell at each other. You know, yeah, man. Well, we're in, we're in the middle of talking about the helicopter. Set <laughs> well, this has to do with the helicopter set piece. Oh I think, no! Because because Lark is like, I I can't kill you. Solomon wants you. Now I got my thread again. So Solomon's like, I need Hunt to feel the pain of all of this. I want him to take the fall. And and fucking Lark is like, but I just want to blow shit up, man. I need the world to suffer for some peace. And and so like, who hired whom? Cuz like Yeah, he does he Solomon does say that. Lane was in fucking prison. Like so did he get word out and be like, "Hey, can you see if there's a guy who wants to destroy the world who like will accept breaking me out of prison as payment?" And if he and if he can I'm going to hire him, but he's going to hire me. And so we're going to have a stopwatch. And every 15 minutes, one of us gets to be the leader. Because, because. Yeah, Craigslist has some weird dark underground shit, I guess. It's dark web Craigslist. It's the Silk Road. Yeah. Anyway, um, helicopters. Not as interesting to watch as like jet planes or even motorcycles. And 
What was his plan if the payload drop had worked? Well, I think. See, here's 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 the thing. Here's here's why I will I will counter your idea of a plane. The the fact that the <laughs> helicopter doors are open that is an extra dimension. And Henry Cavill is sitting there with like one leg hanging out and the the trigger loosely hanging around his crotch while he's just <laughs> sitting there. I was I was like, dude, close the door. Like like <laughs> Put the thing in your pocket. Like I was losing my mind already, and then t- and then you see real footage of Tom Cruise flying a helicopter into this other helicopter, and I'm, I got to tell you, I was so swept up by this footage. And yeah, it, it might be a little bit of the fact that the B-roll footage for this yeah. is absolutely stunning, but I think I think that that has enough value to the actual intensity and the pummeling of the set piece itself that. It, it worked. Couldn't he have just thrown the detonator out of the window? You mean Cavill? You mean Cavill? Maybe. I don't oh, know. Yeah, Cavill, Cavill could have just been like, "Hey, I already hit the like, button." Like that sequence is going. But maybe, maybe that th- maybe the key would have popped out though. He could have fucking wrapped some duct tape. I don't know. It, it just like I didn't understand <laughs> why he was still holding on to it because it's like once he hits that button, the the bombs cannot be stopped unless someone pulls the key out. And and He's then you cut the key and someone's coming. And for then you. you cut the the wires. So if he had just like, if he had just like thrown it into yeah. the woods, he doesn't oh, even yeah, have to yeah, smash yeah. it because like if he just smashes it, it might yeah, not yeah. work. But he yeah. could just lose it. Throw it into a river. He's just but like good luck, buddy. No, it was f- it was destiny for these two to fight on top of a mountain <laughs> in IMAX footage. So just I had a friend it. who was it's about to get um who who was getting mugged and. He, you know, he being the modern people that we are, he's like, well, you know, there's really nothing in my wallet. The only thing this guy can take from me is my cell phone. But if he gets that, he gets my life. So my friend just whipped his cell phone into a sewer. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if well, Henry Cavill had get, had the like, common sense of yeah, my, that's a good way. Wait, to get what did the mugger though? do? Are you like, kidding me? <laughs> the mugger was like, the fuck, dude. <laughs> I, he's just like I just wanted a dollar, <laughs> and then and then my friend did get like yeah. punched in the face. Um, but actually, no, he'd already been punched in the face. Anyway, we don't have to get into the mechanics of how my friend was mugged. Um, but needless to say, if Henry Cavill had had the sense of my friend getting mugged, then uh, he yeah. would have won. He also seemed very Which, unconcerned you know, about the thing, fact but... that Tom Cruise kept going for the thing, and he like he could have just like kicked it off. Like off the mountain and just been like, eh, fuck it. Oh, another thing, another thing stolen from the Dark Knight. um, Henry Cavill gets two faced. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Okay, I I, I do (laughs) want to say one more thing about this helicopter thing. uh, Formally, formally, I I I think that I I am. Are we really still? No, because I I am still curious why this scene of basically the whole movie had the least impact on me. And I think it's something that I've been feeling, uh, you know, the even the last three installments is just the, the way that the precision of that B roll and the way that you are watching stunts and the way that collides with CG and, you know, the, the cosmic misfortune of Tom Cruise at, at a certain point, uh, there is like, 
a, a level of absurdity there that makes me just like completely lose it in a way that something, for instance, like the Fast and Furious series does not because it starts there. And I think that's weird to say because I feel like the most recent Mission Impossibles, you know, it's not like they they ramp or they escalate and do ridiculousness. They start at ridiculousness, but I think there is very much a difference between, you know, um, Fast and Furious feeling like a kid playing in a sandbox and this feeling like watching an incredibly athletic person. And when you combine, like, the helicopter might have been the epitome of that for me, where we are seeing some incredible stunt footage and then it goes into an insane uh, two helicopters insanely snowballing down a mountain. And it's like, it's just right. What, what I was going to say on that same level, Michael is like, I would have loved it if he had somehow had to get into the second sure. helicopter. Yeah. I was waiting. For Cause like that whole, cli- like, I was waiting for that. Him to yeah. That climb up sequence. Into the other. That climb up sequence was, was amazing. Like I, I, yeah, but then, then they would have been taking that from Spectre. Did he jump into a second helicopter? No, in in, in Spectre, oh, yeah. the opening of Spectre, the like single take Day of the Dead thing, it climaxes with him getting it into does? a helicopter and like flipping it upside oh, down. Wow. Okay. Yes, I recall <laughs> it. I remember this now. But I mean, they've already stolen from the Dark Knight. Why not steal from Spectre? I am too? I am the Spectre defender. All right. Um. So the cinematography I, I in it, it so is you're pretty fine fantastic. With, <laughs> I'll give you that. You're fine with Christoph Waltz being the Asa of all of his pain. Oh no! See, cuckoo, Josh. The cuckoo. Between, <laughs> the difference between this one and that one, I think, is that Spectre actually follows through. I guess on the sort of darkness and the bit where he walks through sort of like a, a house of mirrors of all of the franchises. Sort I would, of like I this is true. Yes. Is fucking scary. Actually, no, no. There's good stuff in Spectre. I'm just curious. What would Christoph Waltz have done if Daniel Craig had become, I don't know, a lollipop man? What? <laughs> like if Christoph Waltz is like I'm going to become the head of Spectre and I'm going to murder that cuckoo son of a bitch who stole my father's affection and then he like finds James Bond and James Bond is like all right time to go to work at the uh the like the fish factory you know I'm I'm working and you know I'm just in a cannery and it, like Christoph Waltz is like well this is too easy yeah. he's just working in a fish cannery or he's a lollipop man or he like works in a bookstore and just got laid off because books aren't a thing anymore. And so like, like it's just so weird to me that like, cause like if my brother wanted to take vengeance on me in some way, it just feels weird that he'd be like, God, I hope he becomes a secret agent. <laughs> he better become a secret agent. Cause I'm not going to be able to fuck with a lot of beautiful women. Right. I hope he doesn't become a technical writer in Boston, Virginia, because I'm not going to be able to fuck with him enough if he becomes a technical writer in Boston, Virginia. He needs to work for MI6. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, it's been super confusing online to watch people tweet about this movie because no one wants to write out Mission colon Impossible M-Fallout. So they write MI6 because this is the sixth movie. And Ilsa works for MI6. Mm-hmm. Which is not the fault of the movie, but it is the fault of our lazy online writing wow. culture. Starting all off the podcast with an Eagle Scout thing, ending yeah. it with that. All people need to do is just write Beautiful. Fallout. Like, Poetic. They gave you a fucking subtitle. I don't know, man, because every time I see Fallout, I think I don't want to set the world on fire. And sure. war never changes. <laughs> so are there any final thoughts on this movie? We've, so we've talked the about the ridiculousness of the plot. We've gone, <laughs> what have we... Here's, 
here's my question to you, gentlemen. We've been talking for an hour and 54 wow. and a half minutes. Um, Jesus. What have we learned? What have, what have we just... Helicopters are bad. <laughs> have we... I think mostly what we've learned is that this conversation, I think, is going to be very different from the sure. uh, sort of discourse surrounding the film, which I find a little universally uh, praised, which seems to, seemed a little strange to me that nobody was talking about some of the ridiculous stuff that people, we mentioned. Uh, people kept talking today. about how this is the best action film since Mad sure. Max Fury Road, which is, it might that might John be Wick true, too. but you don't speak. <laughs> Just action but, by action beat? Yes. Yeah, I guess, like, but yeah. Yeah. none of these people watched John I guess. Two, I guess, but that's. Fine. I mean, this movie is is like I said, it's fine. But like John Wick Two is great. Mad Max Fury Road, like to to bring them up in the same breath makes them seem like they're going to be the same movie. So maybe that was part of my like disappointment or underwhelmed nature with this movie because like I kept watching sure. all these people on Twitter like trying to talk this movie into bed with them by being like, "Yeah, baby, you're as hot as Fury Road." Like, but it's it's not like it, Fury Road is like economical and like super inventive and this movie is just like what if car chase but helicopter <laughs> and and i like that's that's fun that's a fun idea if you didn't cut it up so much and if you shortened it a bit maybe like that could be good but like i just don't understand that amount of praise so like yes i'm glad that we've been able to well, puncture I, I, that balloon a little bit i think that the the sort of um the place that it's coming from is just the fact that of the Mission Impossible franchise, this has got to be unquestionably sort of like the most um, ferociously paced and intense and biggest they've ever tried to go. And it has one of the most ludicrous physical performances Tom sure. Cruise has given intentionally. Um, and I think it's just unfortunate that they've you know they've latched that onto a you know a, a pretty monotonous unremarkable uh story which just seems again like a weird uh weird direction to take the franchise overall i worry about the message this will send to the filmmakers honestly the hero the hero worship of tom cruise's character is weird um for a character who's like just a businessman in a, in a certain sense. But also I feel like, sure. especially in the mission impossible films, like bigger does not equal better. Like the Burj Khalifa thing is a big sequence, but it's just a guy climbing. Like yeah. if you were to take that to ground level, it would not be nearly as impressive, but what is impressive is because it's so high. And then at the end, again, he gets into a fist fight with Michael Nyquist, like, and <laughs> that's not that crazy. And then he just has to drive a car off of a thing so he can get to a briefcase faster. Like, but that's not like that's not chasing someone in a helicopter and ramming a helicopter with another helicopter. Like I just feel like sure. almost like that is too big for Mission Impossible and what like this series ought it's, it's to be. It's pushing into Fast and the Furious, right? Like it's yeah. pushing into that level and it's like sure. and like But they're very different. It's it, it's going absurd, but the fact that Tom Cruise is doing it and you can feel it in the footage, I think it makes it a little bit more special yeah. and I think crafts it into a more again this film has all kinds of it's trying to do like religious subtext but mm -hmm. the closest thing it gets to religious su subtext is the actual narcissism of tom cruise 
and how this footage just lovingly films him doing amazing, genuinely amazing things. And, um, you know, I think that, unfortunately, it's more of an unintentional thing that ended up working um, for me for this film. But that is really, that's just what did it. That was it. Nothing else in the movie. Oh, oh, oh. We can't we can't end without without saying shout out to Wolf Blitzer, <laughs> the real hero. Oh, boy. All right, so that's the uh, that's it. I'm calling it. Um, this is not going to be one of those podcasts where we talk longer than the movie. I will refuse. So we're we're done. Um, everyone enjoyed it to some degree or in some way. It's out now. See it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I would give it like I- three to three and a half stars. Out of five. Out of five. If okay. you cut the action sequence out of this film and and just stuck those all together, I'd I'd watch that. I definitely watch that. Yeah, I'd, I mean, it'd still um, be an hour and a half <laughs> at least. Coming to your YouTube supercuts. Yeah, yeah. I I think one final thing I I do have to say. Um, this movie does kind of feel like a compilation of almost every installment. Like there are callbacks galore, like the fact that White Widow. Yeah, we didn't talk about. Uh, oh right, I She's guess there's Max's not a ton to say. Yeah, but Vanessa Kirby, um, who I wasn't familiar with, I guess she's on on the Crown. But um, yeah, she's good in the Crown. Yeah, she's she's pretty excellent in like two or three scenes in, in this. I'm a sucker for um, a girl yeah. taking a weapon out of a garter. Impression. So. <laughs> And yeah. it's a butterfly, a butterfly knife. So you get that great. She, she, yeah, that sound, yeah. that the swing. Yeah, like whoa, swing. <laughs> yeah, that's not how that sounds. She's definitely like more of an archetypal um, character than I'd even say that Mission Impossible usually traffics in too. So, you know, for better, for worse, like a, more like a John yeah, Wick she character kisses. than. She kisses Tom Cruise, and I was very confused why she was doing that at that moment. I was like. You shouldn't shouldn't y'all be doing you're talking about like nuclear payloads and you're just like I'm But she's an arms dealer in front of so my it's brother. like you know she's like you you're hearing nuclear payload and she's hearing 400 pounds of paper you know like it's not it's not impressive to her um to quote to quote insomnia you're a job you're as impressive to me as a fucking toilet all right, add it the, to the, the tally. The last thing I'll say, the one final nice thing I can say about uh, the end scene is that I'm really glad that Rebecca Ferguson and Tom Cruise do not kiss. I thought the hug in Rogue Nation was honestly like one of the most important parts of this part, parts of that movie mm-hmm. and why it works so well. And I'm really glad that they kept it platonic because I'm still just but he wants really but he wants her. but but he. Is the subtext of his like interest in her romantic, or is he like, oh no, another butterfly to be ground I, down I by can't. the wheel of covert operations? Uh, I think I think he can't be attached to her because he knows if he's attached to her, then he's got another Ving Rhames situation. I love that hands. he openly expresses more love for Ving Rhames than he does for her. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anyway, uh, that's the end. Josh, thank you for enduring this with us. <laughs> I can't imagine what this has looked like from your side. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on to talk about the movie. You're welcome. Uh, would you like to, uh, well, uh, before we before we do our plugs, let me remind everyone, patreon.com slash the film stage show. Give us your money. Uh, go to movie.com slash the film stage slash film stage, pardon me, for a free 
30-day trial to movie. Uh, the online streaming cinema, where every day they introduce a new film. You have 30 days to watch, so that's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films for you to put in your eyeballs. There's a Francois Ozone. <laughs> I don't know why I almost had trouble with that. <clears throat> Retrospective going on, so check it out. There's a bunch of other great stuff. Uh, for instance, Werewolf, the 2016 film from Ashley McKenzie, is on there now. So yeah, movie. Awesome movies. Go check it out. M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage for your free 30-day trial. All right. Now it's plug time. Josh, why don't you tell the fine people at home where they can find more of your work? You guys can find me at at the Josh L on Twitter and Letterboxd where I'll be talking about movies. And in the next coming months, I'm actually going to be covering the Toronto International Film Festival Festival for the film stage. Woo. Um, so oh. uh, check me out on the film stage whenever that's going to be a thing. I'm sure there's going to be lots of cool movies playing at the Toronto Film Fest this year. Uh, but if you guys want to hear me talk some more, I have a podcast uh, called Sleezoids, which I mentioned at the top of the show. And you can find that uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you can find your podcasts. Uh, and we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Nice. Bill Graham. Uh, you thought I was Bill Graham, but actually I've been Jordan Raup talking with my voice box the whole time. <laughs> so, um, God damn it. Benevolent Lord and Master Jordan Raup wearing a Bill mask. Wow. Using a Bill voice yes. chip. Don't ask me to talk like Jordan Raup right now, though, because my voice box is broken like bumblebees. So, oh, God. Uh, Did we all get the bumblebee trailer before this movie? I'll, I'll actually we'll go watch that. No, <laughs> um, I like Steinfeld. I don't know. Yeah. It's Travis Knight. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, you can find me on the Patreon channel, uh, mixing it up, having fun in that uh, Fallout channel right now. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, Michael Snydell. If I don't get fired by Jordan for not liking this movie as much as everyone else, you can find me on Twitter at at Snydell, where I'm going to be imagining uh, that Johnny Toe gets the next Mission Impossible. Oh, that would be amazing. And on Letterboxd at uh, Michael Snydell. You know it's going to be Colin Trevorrow, right? <laughs> I was going to say. No, Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise is always going to the well of filmmakers he's already worked with. So the dream is obviously Michael Mann, no. who really needs a hit. <laughs> the dude needs it real bad. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Heat. He needs a box office. I watched juggernaut. Heat like two days ago, and I was like, God damn. Um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah. Black Cat didn't do great at the box office, did it? Heat didn't do? I don't know. You know what bummed me out is that I was watching Heat and I was like, this is like a nearly three hour long movie. Or it might be longer. I don't remember. Um, but like, you know, nowadays it would be like an eight hour long, like TV limited series and it would fucking (laughs) suck because there'd be a whole episode (laughs) just devoted to like awkward first dates and like just like a random oneer that's just about Dominic Chris's like infant son and it would just <laughs> and I was just like because you know it's like we've lost that middle ground where it's like you know here's all these people in all their lives but we're gonna cut through them really quickly and like trust that our audience will pick up on shit and now it's like well Netflix yeah just by like the intimacy of performance yeah. or like subtle information and now so, they're like yeah. well Netflix has given us 12 hours to tell a three hour story so or 14 for some I reason I guess we're just gonna have to have a musical episode <laughs> <clears throat> the heat musical episode actually sounds pretty great he's got a great ass 
anyway. And then it just like kicks into Al Pacino singing I Like Big Butts. Um, And then when fucking, uh, you know what? I was going to say when Macaulay walks away from Eve, he's going to be like, don't you forget about me. (laughs) Anyway, we need to get out of here. I can be found on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, where I will be uh, tweeting out a spec script of Mission Impossible as directed by Timur Bekmembetov. So check that out. Um, And of course, you can find me on the film stage, my personal site, dearfilm.net, Letterboxd, Instagram, and everything else at Brian J. Rowan, because I am deeply uncreative when it comes to creating screen names. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week. A flame in your heart In my heart I have but one